1: Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today, I've got T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress joining me for the full three hours. As we recap what went down in Neville Arena last night between the Auburn Tigers and Alabama Crimson Tide, a very successful evening For the Auburn Tigers defeating Alabama 99-81, we will break that game down in its entirety in just a little bit. We'll also talk uh, other great things in the sports world. We'll have our birthdays in sports coming up in just a little bit, a 5 at 5 in the 5 o'clock hour, maybe do a little bit about recruiting. I know yesterday was quote-unquote National Signing Day, clearly the latter of two signing days and the one that is far less productive, but if we have time, we'll... Again, remind you of how the 2024 recruiting cycle went. Also today, coming up around 4.30 today, Auburn head softball coach Mickey Dean will join the program. Coach Dean, kind enough to spend some time with us on the eve of Auburn softball's season beginning tomorrow in Jane B. Moore Field against a top 25 opponent. So we'll talk a little Auburn softball with Coach Dean coming up a little bit later as well. And of course, we want to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334 887 3401 locally or toll free 1 at 9 at Tiger Nine to call in to the show this afternoon. Ryan TP and Brooks with you here on this Thursday. Brooks Childress, good to see you, sir. I know uh, you'll be off tomorrow, so you're one show of the week, but uh, appreciate you being here. We heard you on the call, so Borgard basketball earlier this week so you've been busy all over the place but good to have you in this studio this afternoon
2: (laughs) and it it feels it feels nice today doesn't it yes it feels very nice today um i don't know why that is it just you know you woke up (laughs) this morning with a great feeling um i know why it's nice today uh it has to do with 99 points being scored last night and not 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 that many being scored by the other team that, that the Auburn Tigers were playing. Um, it is a great day. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. Uh, you know, regardless of what happened last night on the basketball court, it, it is a beautiful day outside in the Auburn Opelika area. And so I hope folks are taking advantage of it and have uh, been taking advantage of it today if you were fortunate to have today off or maybe you stepped outside from the office for a little bit. Um, so it, it's it's a it's a great day. A lot of a lot of fun stuff coming up this weekend for us to talk about. Uh, a lot of fun stuff that happened last night inside Neville Arena to talk about. And listen, it you know, there's, there's people out there that when the the the, the 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 scenarios are reversed, they say, Oh, it's just another win it's just that's no way to think about it it's it feels so good doesn't it it why what what enjoyment is it when he's like oh it's just another win you know how how did you enjoy things if it's just another win? That wasn't just another win last night. That was a that was a big win for Auburn basketball, uh, a big win over the the top team in the conference. Uh, a win that uh, Bruce Pearl said uh, earlier in the week that if they didn't get that win, it's going to be hard to win the conference if you don't uh, if you don't get that win last night. And it was an emphatic win. Uh, a lot of folks were were inside Neville Arena last night. Um, it was, it was a packed house standing room only as it, it usually is inside Neville arena. Uh, and it was, it was, it was fun. Um, there were negatives and, and I think a lot of people know what those negatives are. I don't like to, I, and we'll get into it, but you know, and I've said on the show before, I don't like to talk bad about people wearing black and white shirts. Zebras. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like to talk bad about them, but when I looked at my phone inside Neville Arena and it was 7.50, game started at 6. When it was 7.50 p.m. and there was still over 10 minutes of basketball to be played, that's not a good formula. Right. I don't care who's winning the basketball game. That's not a good formula. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit later. But it was a great win last night for Auburn, and uh, can't wait to break it down here.
1: T.P. Hammock joining us on this Thursday edition of the program. T.P., how are you this afternoon? <laughs>
3: Well, you know, after a big victory over the heathens up in Tuscaloosa, you know, it's always a good day after that, especially after the way that uh, you know, the game last time ended, where you felt like Auburn really had a shot, and then it just really, you know, that it just let it slip away, and so, um, you know, it just a uh, really good win there. You know, uh, it was back and forth early, but then uh, I'm sure everyone you know what really put this one on uh what really put this one on ice was uh whenever it was towards the end of the first half. Brooks, you probably remember it. It was towards the end of the first half. It was get, I believe it was tied at, at the four-minute mark after the four-minute yeah. timeout. And then Auburn just exploded. And it was Janai Broom and Jalen Williams and Trey Donaldson. Trey Donaldson has been so good. I have just loved watching Trey Donaldson. That has been one of my favorite watches. He's just so calm and it just looks so good. Like, the offense looks completely different. I'm not hating on Aiden Holloway. I'm just saying it just looks so much better than what it did and um you know i think you know that was great and what really whenever i think alabama realized that it was about to get out of hand in which it never really did get close again was the windmill i, I jumped off my couch <laughs> Whenever that happened on Trey Donaldson right to Jalen Williams, it sounded like the roof was about to blow off the gym. Now, Or as Nate Oates said, the high school gym. High school gym roof was about to come off. But uh, it was just a great win there. Auburn jumped up to fourth in Ken Palm, if you're into that type of thing. Uh, they jumped up to four. Tied for first in the SEC with you know Alabama and uh, South Carolina, which I'm sure we all predicted at the beginning of the season. But, um, yeah, just a – Great win last night. Probably the most impressive win so far on the season for the Tigers as they
1: knocked off a quad one victory in a uh, very convincing style. Absolutely. So, of course, Auburn last night victorious 99-81. Tigers led it for the vast majority of the basketball game, leading for about 35 of the 40 minutes. And so the Tigers able to – prevail in that one so let's go through it now we'll start with the non-officiating part of it there is a certain part to get to that and we will hit on that uh but first want to digest the game itself and and why Auburn was able to do what it did against Alabama so uh the first half was very even for about 16-17 minutes Auburn Uh, It was kind of a game of runs. Uh, Alabama started off with a a few nice makes in the beginning. Tigers went on a run. I think Auburn got it out to about a 12, 14-point lead at one point in the first half. Uh, Then Alabama went on a significant run, kind of retook a very brief lead. So you're thinking, okay, this could really be a back-and-forth affair. But the Tigers had a huge run to end the first half, including – uh, as TP mentioned, that Jalen Williams dunk to kind of end the first half. So Auburn took a 14-point lead in the half, and at no point was Alabama able to get it to single digits in the second half. They got to 11 once or twice. They got it to 12 once, I think pretty late when Grant Nelson hit three, like 71-59, something in there. And then from that point forward, just not much doing. The defense has really started to bog down the offenses a little bit more. You wouldn't know it from the – total score again we'll get to why that was in just a little bit but uh again Auburn never really had to feel game pressure from that point forward you know Alabama not getting it back to single digits after uh late in the first half so uh we're not I don't think we're any of us are surprised Auburn won are you guys surprised at all and how they won
3: yeah I think absolutely I mean you know uh yeah, you know, Vegas had it at a five and a half point spread where it was at a six and a half. So it seemed like, you know, it was favoring, you know, a little bit closer towards a, you know, an Alabama Auburn, you know, real stalemate. You know, I was thinking yesterday towards the end of the show, I thought it'd be about an eight point game late, late, uh, you know, comeback or not even a comeback, just, a just holding on to the lead because you're at Neville and it's really hard to get those victories. And, um, no, they just didn't happen that way. They just really kicked in the door, so it was um, it was really impressive. Uh, I think I don't think it's far fetched to say that was the most impressive effort I'd seen all year because Alabama had not been a bad defensive team, believe it or not. They had been really well, especially in the last few games outside of the LSU game where they put up 109 points, remind you. You know, outside of that one, Alabama had been a really stout defensive team outside of a. You know, a loss in Knoxville, but a lot of teams lose, you know, in Knoxville. Uh, But Auburn really kicked in the door there, and uh, it's just so different. It feels so different now than whenever Auburn went to Mississippi State and put up 58 points, you know, got caught in a rock fight. Uh, It just – I think that was the most impressive win of the season. What about you, Brooks? How do you feel?
2: Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. I I felt like Auburn was going to win the game going into it last night. And then when it was uh, a combined 22 points uh, at the under 16 timeout, when it was 12 to 10 in in four minutes, I was like, whoa, this is going to be a high scoring, highly contested affair. Uh, and it was, I mean, it, it was pretty, you know, obviously 99 to 81 is pretty high scoring, uh, but... You know, like like you said, uh, you highlighted TP when when Auburn ma- went went on that run right after the under four timeout of the of the first half uh, and built that lead up going to halftime. That's when you kind of felt like, oh, I mean, you know, a, Auburn Auburn's got something here. I still uh, continued throughout the second half, waiting on, and I, I think I did it with the the Ole Miss game too when Auburn hosted Ole Miss. Uh, I kept waiting on, on Alabama to make a run. I kept waiting on Alabama to make a run because I'm like, they, they're capable of doing it. They're capable of making a run. Uh, and they just never had that big overarching run. I, I keep going back to the, the, um, the LSU game uh, a few weeks ago where, where LSU, Auburn was up big on LSU and LSU made that huge run in the second half and cut it down to single digits uh, before Auburn was able to get their feet back under them. Um, and I, it just the part of me just keeps waiting on these runs to happen, and the defense uh, does their job. The defense for Auburn steps up, and, and you know as in the last in a few recent weeks has been able to uh, hold the these high scoring offenses at bay. Um, it's you know and I think something else that helped, uh, and it kind of leans into uh, some officiating stuff. But the fact that you started getting Alabama into foul trouble there in the in the mid portion of that second half. You started getting Alabama into foul trouble. They couldn't play as aggressive. Uh, I know you know Justin Ferguson. uh, You guys talked to him on uh, Tuesday or uh, earlier this week, and he was talking about how Alabama can score, uh, can hit a three pointer at will. They can score at will. Well, when you get them into 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 a a situation where they have they got to be careful with fouls. Um, that scoring efficiency goes down because they can't be as aggressive going toward the rim. They can't be as aggressive. And, you know, Auburn's three-point defense was very, very good last night. Obviously, you know, you look at it, Mark Sears got got his points. 25 points, second-leading scorer on the night for the game. Um, he was going always going to get his points. He's a great scorer. I think he what ended up with only two personal fouls too, so he was never in any foul trouble. Uh, it was everybody else. You you kind of you got them into foul trouble. You fouled out Grant Nelson. You fouled out uh, Aaron Estrada. You had uh, Rylan Griffin and you had uh, White both sitting on four fouls. You had a couple guys that aren't you know that are off the bench in, in Sam Walters and Di, uh, Diabate also sitting on four fouls. When you got down to that situation at the end of the game. And you're really again, midway through that second half, and you were starting to get these guys into foul trouble. I think that's when it really started to settle in that you know like, all right, I don't know if Alabama is actually going to make that run that that that, uh, that, uh, that I was waiting on, and the Auburn had that in the bag.
1: Let's go ahead to our orthopedic clinic phone line for the first time today. 334-887-3401 locally or toll- free. One at eight nine. Tiger 9. First up on the show this afternoon, Die Hard Die. Die Hard Die is with us. Die Hard Die, how are you this afternoon? Hey, War Eagle, how are y'all? Doing well, War Eagle.
4: So, when it comes to basketball, and I've been watching a lot of it, you know, any team can get hot and any team can uh, do bad, just like when we're at Appalachian State. I think Auburn has advantage because of our depth. Um, but, you know, the one thing I've noticed more this year than most is the home teams. I mean, if you just went down the list with a bookie and just bet on home games, I think you'd, you know, cover 60%, 70%, if not more. Um, and it just proves, and it's just not Auburn. I mean, um, Houston just got smashed at Kansas, you know, this weekend. And um, But it was, I was not worried about Auburn. I was worried about the six-point spread. So uh teased it, now. now I need uh, <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs to win. So tell me how you feel about this, this, that. That would be a shame if uh, the one time I actually bet on Kansas City, they don't <laughs> cover, and I lose this Auburn victory. But we were downtown last night. You know, all, uh, Alabama put up a couple threes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's 6-2 already. And um, we just we played amazing. Um, the reason I called, other than what I just said, I am so proud of Auburn just having class. I would be so upset if we had some coach that was making fun of another. I mean, that was just the dumbest, unprofessional. I remember looking over and seeing Nate Oates with some player, and he had his, like, ai don't know, he looked like a pirate. And I was just like, they look like the bad guys. They look like bad guys. Um, last year, I know they were bad guys, you know, with the whole firearms thing, but. Um, so proud of Auburn being the good guys let's keep that up and um, interesting what you have to say about that and and my chiefs for this weekend (laughs) absolutely
1: where you appreciate the phone call that is diehard die joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line yeah look I my thoughts on Nate Oates is again I I think that he handled the situation last year incredibly poorly Uh, I do not think it was a good reflection um, at at all uh, on anybody there I mean that was a Uh, very poor handling of it and that will always be that in my book uh I think that he as a coach is a really good coach he coaches uh offense the way that I would coach offense in, in the given age of basketball but yeah I do not like the the person very much from from what I see of it and uh he seems to be very capable of of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time uh very often so uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of his from a, from a personality standpoint, and, uh, but again, I, I think he's a very quality coach. I think you look at what, uh, what Alabama's done and, and being able to rival Auburn very much so over the last six or seven years as Bruce Pearl's gotten this thing going. I mean, that's what's made for a great rivalry. It's not just that Auburn got good or not just that Alabama got good, it's that they both got good over the last six or seven years. So, again, I I certainly think he's done a good job. However, not a fan of the person. Uh, As far as the Chiefs, uh, look, I think that they have met a lot of challenges that we uh, maybe are giving them enough credit for, but maybe you're not giving them enough credit for. I'm very confident in them, and we'll certainly preview the Super Bowl in great detail when we do all the prop bets and stuff tomorrow on the show. Uh, but but just a summarization of, of what they've done, I mean, uh, they went in to two road environments, the two teams that have been the best regular season challengers of Kansas City for the last three or four years, Buffalo and Baltimore, and beat them both. And I think that it's just should be alarming to teams trying to beat them of how good their defense is because uh, Patrick Mahomes has not played bad football this year now. He might not have just had the crazy numbers that we're getting accustomed to in in this day and age of not only his talent, but of throwing the football. But we know that Patrick Mahomes is not going to lose them the game. Yet their defense is now capable of winning them the game, whereas I feel the first three or four years of them doing this, they really needed Mahomes to play well uh, and and do something above and beyond of of just a decent quarterback. And because he was Patrick Mahomes, he still did it most of the time. But if you were able to just absolutely rush the passer or just get him just out of whack for a little bit, that's, that was your opportunity. Now you get him out of whack, great. You kind of need to because you're not going to put up a lot of points on them. And, you know, they don't have great wide receivers, but they still have Kelsey. They've, they've gotten Rasheed Rice to be uh, a pretty, pretty dang good receiver. I think he's going to end up being a 1,000-yard guy for, for years to come. So they found something there again. You're just not like you're not going to beat them uh, in terms of having three Mahomes turnovers. And now you're not going to beat them scoring 40 points and just outscoring them. You're going to have to play a a fundamentally sound game where you have to play really good and execute really good offense against their good defense. And you're going to have to make sure that again, Mahomes can't have a clutch moment on you or, Uh, a great sequence or two on you so it's tough i i I will get into the complete breakdown of it later but i I think that a bet on kansas city is a good bet san francisco is favored so uh but it's so close it's i think it's a point and a half so you pretty much you're you're pretty much picking who's going to win the game and i I think you can figure out which way i'm leaning but based off what i just said but uh, we will break that down more for sure uh other auburn alabama items still don't want to get to the officiating yet uh again there's going to be a nice several minute discussion on that but without it i think brooks you were starting to hit on it there at the end there i think that going down low for auburn was just the obvious you need to keep doing this over and over and over and every time auburn shot a three they were bailing alabama out because as we saw in coleman like again no one could stop janai broom that game he had 25 points 14 rebounds in coleman and Auburn got a little three happy when they started to get momentum in that game in Coleman instead of continually feeding the post. They were looking for that kill shot three. They were looking for that that three that really just makes the the crowd go numb. And they couldn't hit it. And they went five of 25 in that game. Well, this game, look, they still, like I said, almost every three, in my opinion, was a bad three just because of how well they were dominating down low. But I remember one specific sequence where Aiden Holloway shot a three, missed it. They got a quick steal, and then one on three, he just pulled up again and shot a three. And I was just like, this is just the, the like you, – you're not understanding what's going on here. You're not beating this team or playing well against this team because you you made a couple jumpers. You're in the process of beating this team because they can't defend the low post. They cannot defend Jani Broom. And last night, they could not also defend Jalen Williams. And they had no answers down 15 feet from the basket and closer. So you have to get it down low. And then if something, if they finally will change their defense, because they didn't, I was surprised they really didn't do much double teaming. If they change their defense and make you shoot a three, well then, then you pass out of double team into a step in rhythm three. That's when you can at least allow it and foresee it. Cause that's within the flow of the offense. The, just dribble over a screen and then pop a 26-footer or come up and transition looking for a three instead of looking for a layup that's bailing Alabama out that that's not that's not doing yourself a favor and so what Auburn figured out in the second half was a uh, everything's going to be called so that's where officiating comes in again we're going to leave the bulk of that for for just a few minutes from now but then b that again with or without the whistle Alabama's not going to have a great outlook if you're going to end up throwing the ball down low and again it ended up being fouls more times than not in the second half in the first half it was buckets I mean it was just a constantly Auburn able to get what they wanted from two-point range I think uh, the two pointers for Auburn in the first half were 15 of 25 that's 60 percent uh, and that's all twos. That includes the jumpers, your little Trey Donaldson floaters they made, a couple Katie Johnson missed shots from, from mid-range. I mean, that, that that includes all your twos, 60%. So they were able to get there at will, and they were able to succeed there. Obviously, the second half was a little different story, but uh, that Auburn just at all points attacked the rim, attacked the rim, attacked the rim, attacked the rim do it with your bigs primarily. Uh, but even your guards, like if, they're not a great defensive team. Uh, they are improved. They're not. Uh, the, they're not the worst SEC defense in the league. I think. Um, I think Kentucky is is trying hard for that one, uh, and a couple others. But again, there's not a lot of guys on Alabama's team you look at and say, hey, I really don't like that matchup when I'm on offense. There's, there's really not many of those, and so. Uh, Auburn did well whenever they wanted to focus on two. Any other points you guys want to make about the game itself before we take our first break, and then we hit on officials, we get more phone calls after this. Any any other points, any other individuals stand out, anything like that?
2: Um, you know, it, it's the, the – you know, just echo kind of what you were saying there, Ryan, about the, the three-point uh, ball. You know, I think we've established this um, – in the last couple of weeks is that Auburn is just not a a three team like this is not a team that's going to run you off the uh, it's going to run you off the court via the three ball i mean you know last night 5 of 19 from from beyond the arc and like you said it, uh, I, as you were describing it i vividly remember that play where Aiden Holloway Popped a three, missed it. Got the rebound. Popped another three, and it both of them were just were misses. And so, and then there was a stretch there in the middle of the that second half um, that neither team was really scoring. Uh, there was some fouls in there, but. Auburn was popping some threes there and there was just nothing was hitting and it's it it's like you were saying with the when the trip to Tuscaloosa they were kind of it was it you knew Auburn was it it had the the game in control last night but they were looking for that three that was quote unquote the kill shot and it just wasn't falling um and so you know when, when especially you know when as I was mentioning when you got them into foul trouble it played more into your advantage to go down low and try to get them to foul you more um it it worked I mean you you fouled out Grant Nelson, one of their one of their top players. Um, you fouled out Aaron Estrada. Another, you got two of their five starters to foul out last night. That's like that's a good thing if you're trying to win a basketball game. Um, but this, you know, this, this Auburn team, those five threes. I tell you, it when when Auburn hit those five threes, it was loud. It, Auburn fans were, you know, they they were excited. It was it was a you know a great time in Neville Arena. But it's the you know you. you Auburn I think needs to going down the stretch and I know this was the the biggest, you know, arguably one of the biggest games of the year for the Tigers. You still got a a gauntlet here you're running is this is the first uh well, I say the Ole Miss game is the first game of the gauntlet you you started this past weekend. You got to be a little bit more selective with those 3 balls I think. I think you have to make sure that you are, you know, you're in control slash you you are confident that this is going to go down. You just don't don't throw up threes to throw up threes and try to make something happen if it's not happening from beyond the arc, especially you know looking ahead to this weekend. Uh, you're going down to Florida, a place you haven't won in a very long time. Uh, don't try to make things happen if they're not happening.
3: I think that's very well put. I think that we've seen that happen a lot this year, and I think it'll probably you know I hope it doesn't happen in Florida. You know, Florida. You know, it's coming off a week's rest whenever they play each other. But last night, I was really impressed. Whenever they weren't hacking up the half-court shot, they did something really well that way. They gave it to Jani Broom, and I promise you Nick Pringle is sick of guarding Jani Broom because every time he was in, it was feast or famine. It was just feasting on Nick Pringle. Nick Pringle had no business guarding Jani Broom last night, and it really showed. Every time Jani Broom had a good scoring run, it was on a Bama big, and uh, Jani Broom's just been – so incredible this year i mean he does a really good job he looks like a 90 center right he kind of does this weird little like shimmy move and he does a little spin off and you just don't really see that that often anymore in today's game but he really does a really good job of getting his body in the way and getting to the rack and if he doesn't make it he can draw a foul so you know i you know whenever they're not taking the and i wish they would cut down on some of those three-point shots but i understand you know that's who auburn is you know you know, sometimes they're really open shots, and you know you, you gotta take that. But you know they've done such a good job with Janai Broom this year, and I would just love it if they just kept feeding him because honestly, not to my knowledge this year, I haven't seen anyone stop him. I mean, right. I mean he's just he's done really
1: well. So I I am I was really impressed with Broom's effort well, last night. And look, I will say, um, I, I thought it was a little regrettable. I I, I understand uh, why Bruce said what he said. Well, it was a real, little regrettable because he talked about uh, – he had this little snide comment about Nick Pringle returning. Like, of course, he's returning in this game t- sort of thing. And I thought that was a little regrettable because, like, Nick Pringle really doesn't matter that much. He's not – is he going to stop Janiper because he didn't in Tuscaloosa? Like, like that's why I was a little confused why why it even mattered that much. Like, I, I know Alabama's already a team without a lot of bigs, so their argument's like, we need another big. We just need another human body that's kind of large. But in, in Coleman Coliseum, when Pringle was Garden Broom, uh, he played about 10 minutes because he got four fouls and he had two points and two rebounds. And Janai Broom had 25 points, 14 rebounds. And I know not all of that was on Pringle, of course, but, but Pringle did absolutely nothing of consequence first time around in a game that was called very evenly and there was not a million fouls. He still got in foul trouble. So guess what? I know this will shock you, but last night Nick Pringle in 13 minutes committed four more fouls uh, and uh, he ended up with okay seven rebounds 13 minutes that's nice problem is uh, he had five of those offensive and about four of those were him just missing his own layup and then following it up again so like great effort awesome great energy you're not going to dog it because again you're giving yourself another shot but also it's like okay same premise he's not a big offensive threat the dude averages four or five points a game this year and he clearly is still not enough to guard jenny broom or or even jalen williams so it was like, eh, you know, I, I, I get it. We, we love being snide. That's rivalry. Alabama's going to be snide. Auburn and vice versa. That's great. But also, it's like, really, Nick Pringle doesn't have a huge effect on basketball games. Like, he's one of their bigger guys, but their best big guy is Grant Nelson, and he's not a great defensive player for a big, big. And, okay, it's like, really, it's not that impactful. So I did regret that. I found that a little regrettable. Again, I get it. Snide is playful in the, in the terms of rivalry uh oh here we are again but uh again nick pringle was, was not much of a factor last night and he certainly was not a factor back in tuscaloosa so it really didn't matter who was guarding jenny that was the whole point of auburn's philosophy it's like they just it's not suspended or suspended they don't have anyone that can stop those guys down low and to be fair like most people don't stop jenny Broom Jalen williams that's kind of the point that's why If you look at the Ken Palm ratings for individual players, Jani Broom is the second-best big man in the entire country analytically behind Zach Eady. And it's because, well, no one can really defend that dude. When he's able to get to his left hand and he uses some power moves and that sort of thing, he will find a way to get to his spot. So uh, he obviously was pivotal. Jalen Williams was awesome. He had a, a troublesome time the first time against Alabama. He was much better last night. And, of course, Auburn used a lot of points in the paint. ...to get the win over Alabama. We're going to take our first time out of the show. Coming up next, though, we want to take more of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one tiger 9 to join us today. Also do want to talk about the officiating side of things. Uh, Your officials last night were Doug Schaus, and I could leave it there, but also Joe (laughs) Lindsay and Courtney Green. We'll talk a little bit about them next
0: Time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break.
1: I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to the sports call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and TP Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon. About to go back to the orthopedic clinic phone line in just a couple of minutes, but before we do that, we do want to go ahead and, and talk a little bit about uh, the officiating part of this because we teased it before going to break. And I never really tweet unless I'm live tweeting in a professional capacity. I you know, retweet the show and stuff all the time, but I'm not overly active by any means. And yet I felt compelled last night to go through a little series on uh, how many uh, fouls that we had. And little did I know would it vastly accelerate from the point of which I already thought it was worth tweeting about, uh, which is just never a good thing. So... Uh, 12 minutes to play in the game, we had 44 combined free throws at that point. It was actually 22-22. to 22. That's why I tweeted it because I was like, okay, this is not controversial at this point. It's 22-22. It's just a lot of free throws, especially compared to in the first game in Coleman, it was 37 total free throws for the entire game. So 12 minutes left, we had 44 free throws taken that already exceeded the first game. Well, with eight minutes left, we were up to 56. With four minutes left up, uh, we were up to 72. And our final tally was 85 free throws on 61 fouls, which is just patently absurd, honestly. I mean, I I don't have any other words for it. It it was just too many. Uh, Alabama shot 35. Auburn shot 50. So Auburn obviously got more calls in the second half. But as I told you, with 12 minutes left, it was – Uh, 22 all in that department so here's the two things i want to say one it did not impact who won the basketball game whatsoever i know there was a discrepancy as i told you that 12 minute mark it was 22 all which was completely fair and at that point the score was 71 to 54 auburn so we're not doing the you know who did influence winning anything like that if you go through every number Auburn had more points off turnovers, more points in the paint, more second-chance points, more fast-break points, more bench points. The only thing Alabama beat Auburn in was three-point shooting, but even Alabama did not have an incredibly robust night from three-point line. So so let's start there. However, why I wanted to talk about the officials a little bit is because I think it's very unfortunate that you're getting the high point of this rivalry in terms of basketball. Again, these two teams are accounting for a lot of the SEC – titles these days either tournament or regular season over the last five six years i think it's incredibly unfortunate that you are getting a nationally ranked game and you're seeing 85 free throws and 61 fouls that is objectively not something that viewers want to see period end of discussion in terms of that um I understand that some games get more physical. I understand that some games they like you can't just put slap a 15 free throw aside on it and call it a night. I understand some games some teams will commit more fouls. But if we're getting to the point where we really think that 61 fouls and 85 free throws should be shot, I mean come on man. No one watches this sport to watch uh everyone shoot free throws. No one's favorite plays a free throw. You know what I really like? Yeah. I mean, the dunks are cool, the three-pointers are cool, tough mid-range, tough floaters. I really love a nice free throw. That's what makes me happiest in basketball a nice free throw. If you're saying that, you might be a coach, otherwise you're lying. And so I, I just I found it regrettable that that's the way the game was called and that it got progressively worse in the second half. Again, 44 free throws with 12 minutes left was a lot. But we ended at 85, which means 41 more free throws were shot in the final 11 and change in the basketball game. So, guys, your thoughts? I just again, objectively, I have to say that's not the type of game I want. I don't care that Auburn got a few more calls in the end. Uh, they did earn a lot of those calls by being aggressive and going to the rim. Objectively speaking, though, I just don't that I. Mm, that's just too many. It's just too many. No, I I, I agree. You know what? It, it remind
3: me of if you ever played NBA 2K and you just turned the fouls to hundred percent, and any time you literally went to the basket, you'd immediately hear a whistle. That's what it felt like last <laughs> night. It, it just got so bad to where I would look at my roommate. I just go foul. Boom! Just immediately foul, foul. You know, it didn't even matter if they would even if you. It felt like if you breathed on them, it was a whistle. Like it was just horrible. Like, like you said, my, you know, me personally, the free throw is not my favorite. I don't know about any listener here, but nevertheless, if you enjoyed free throws, then last night was a Super Bowl for you because there were so many. And uh, you know, some of them were legit fouls. I will say that, but you cannot tell me. That there were 61 legitimate fouls last night. It was a physical game, but it wasn't that physical. It wasn't the 80s. Like, it was. That was ridiculous. I was one of the. I won't say the worst officiate game because at the end of the day, it was an 18 point game, and it really wasn't, but that was one of the most foul ridden games I've no matter what NBA or college I don't think i've ever seen that
1: many fouls called in a single capacity yeah just just stylistically the the wrong approach
3: no right no it was just like anytime you would crash to the, if anyone ever went inside no matter the team immediate whistle if there was any sort of contest and whatnot and what's crazy is Jani broom had zero fouls <laughs> I don't get that I mean like that was crazy and I, I just I, I really didn't like the officiating last night. What about you, Brooks?
2: Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to say. I'm not going to sit here and say, because I'm not an official, I'm not going to sit here and say there were not X amount of fouls. Could there have been this many fouls committed? Yes. This, though, feels like what you get – when, you know, in football, we, you know, everybody complains about, oh, they were holding on this play. They were holding on this play. And, you know, you've, you've had officials talk about it before. Well, if you call, you know, if you, if you go by the letter of the law, everything, there's holding on every play. And this is what you get when you call every single foul that is ever given. You don't let them play a little bit. You have a hour, two and a half hour basketball game where you shoot a bazillion free throws that that's what this is this is the type of game you get is when you have officials walk out there and say i'm going to officiate this game by the letter of the law and there's going to be no room for interpretation here there's going to be we're not going to let them play a little bit there we're going to call every ticky tack little thing that we absolutely can and I know, you know, I, I know people want fouls called. I know people want referees to have accountability. But the reason we have officials and we don't have a computer in any sport is be, is because if a computer calls everything, this is the type of game that you're going to get. If a computer re- registers, "Hey, I just touched TP's elbow." Guess what? That's a foul. Boop. I didn't. This see did it. not affect it. This did not affect. If if I'm uh, right now, I'm tapping his elbow. If if we're playing basketball, this is not affecting him him playing basketball. But it's foul. It's foul.
3: Yeah. It, and you know what? So, it reminds me of Brooks. It reminds me of VAR and uh, European soccer. The you know if yeah. like if the single if a single stitch is offsides, you're offsides, and they'll call it back. And so does that really? Change that much in European soccer? No, no, not that my that my short was slightly offside. So I I definitely agree with you as you were fouling me there. <laughs> that would have been two at the free throw line last
2: night. So we uh, it is it is good. It is a good thing for you for folks to want accountability with referees because you you don't want there to be blatant calls that were either missed or or that were calls that were. You know, you say, like, oh, you shouldn't have called, like, the, just let them play a little bit. There needs to, you know, obviously, you know, we talk about it all the time, there needs to be a spot in the middle somewhere that you you are getting that perfect sweet spot of officiating a game where it's, you're not calling everything because that's, this is what you get, and you're not calling nothing because then you're getting people being mugged under the basket and there's nothing, you know, you're, you're saying, oh, you know, just let them play. There has to be that sweet spot. And this is not it.
1: Again, sixty-one fouls in a forty-minute game. So, in other words, if you could go one solid minute without a foul call, then you were very fortunate last night because that's a foul every forty-five seconds or so called. Of course, eighty in a forty-minute game would be every thirty seconds. So, uh, it just, uh, just again, it, it's just not the style that I want to put on display and show the country. Hey, this is why Auburn, Alabama is getting to be a big basketball rivalry now not just be on the end state but it's also becoming two really good programs the last five or six years. Uh, it is, again, that, that was a regrettable way for it to, to turn out uh, as it became a free-throw contest there in the second half. But, uh, alas, uh, you move on, but uh, not the product that is preferred. Uh, we have time to go to the orthopedic clinic phone line here before the end of our number one. So let's do that right now. 334 887 3401 locally or toll free 1 9 Tiger 9. Next up on the show,
0: James from
1: Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good. And am War Eagle. War Eagle.
5: I know that y'all were talking about the Auburn-Alabama basketball game, and I did actually catch that game last night. And that was a lot of fouls for Auburn. And um, on another note, I know that the Alabama head coach was talking about uh, Auburn, how they, how they actually play like a high school team. I don't think so. I don't know why he said that um, at the top of the game. I mean, before the game started, I don't know what he was – uh, referring to Auburn like that, for because I think for me, I think for me as an Auburn fan, we're not like a high school team. We're we're a college team, and I don't think that Auburn would ever play like a high school team as well. So I don't know where he was going with that comment as well. And I thought that comment was very, very disrespectful for Auburn fans to actually hear that as well.
1: Yeah, so so what he said was, and it, look, people did take it as disrespect in a different way, but he he compared the uh, the gym a little bit and and, and the crowd and saying uh, it's kind of like a high school gym, except that you've got eight, nine, ten thousand people instead of two thousand people. But you know, before mm-hmm. that quote, he also compared it to I think Cameron Indoor at one point, and and again, he said it was a great. Yeah, this is again why Nate Oates is not revered by me. Is he was trying to give a compliment, I think, but he worded worded it so poorly, or it just gave such a bad example uh, that it ended up seeming like an offhanded compliment and, and not really a compliment at all. But he was more so talking about just the gym and the crowd itself, not the, not the actual how the team played.
5: Yeah, because I mean with the gym, because I've actually been in that arena many times and it doesn't look to me as an Auburn fan, it does not look like a high school gym. It's a historic uh, arena. We have a lot of history um, that most fans, most opposing fans that come to um, Auburn Arena or Neville Arena, we do have a lot of history with with uh with Auburn athletics that most uh, most colleges don't even have because when you come to neville we do have um, history with Auburn football Auburn baseball Auburn basketball Auburn track and field Auburn swimming auburn soccer and and when you actually look at that you're thinking to yourself okay this is the history that most of uh, the of the students that actually play these games. And when you look up in the in the Raptors, you're seeing so many great legends that played on that floor. And you're seeing so many great names that you could, you know, that you could just pick out from staring up in the Raptors like DeWana Bonner, Chuck Percy, Charles Barkley, and, and I mean many guys and many men and women that played sports really well. I'll I'll probably see like the next person being up there in in the Raptors, maybe Danya Broom or uh, you know uh, uh, you know some some of the ladies off the basketball team that I can't name off off the top of my head as well.
2: Maybe Carson McFadden.
5: Yes Carson that fan and I mean she was a really she's one um you know one great basketball player I've seen her play in her freshman year and in her sophomore year as well and um you know uh uh, uh new players that are playing this year like uh uh uh, 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 uh oh my gosh there's so many new players on the women's basketball team i for, totally forgot.
2: Maybe some like someone like uh, Jemiah Mingo Young
5: yes, yes thank you Jemiah Mingo Young is another one as well that I would like to see up there as well because it, it's uh, it's very hard to to compare a lot of those new players to some of the former players that played at Auburn as well
1: yeah uh, for sure definitely a, a lot of players to compare them to what else is on your mind?
5: well I'm actually uh, looking at this Super Bowl that's going to be coming up this weekend and I'm I'm actually right now I'm bouncing back and forth between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers I mean this is these two teams are really good and I'm I'm thinking that this is going to be a good boxing match as well so I, that's why I couldn't actually stay so I think Kansas City I think I'll Probably put in boxing terms, I'll say that Kansas City will be more of like Rocky, and then uh, the San Francisco 49ers will be uh, Apollo Creed as well. So I think this is going to be a really good uh, tale of the tape for uh, the Super Bowl as well.
3: Uh, you know, yeah, I agree. I think I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have to go with the Chiefs on this one, and uh, you know, hmm. I'll give you a score prediction. I'll go with a uh, 31 to 24. I, I'm gonna have to go with a. Uh, Patrick Mahomes getting the back-to-back ring. Uh, what about you, James?
5: Um, well, I'll actually stay with the Kansas City Chiefs on this one with you. And I think that the Kansas City Chiefs, I'll probably say that the Kansas City Chiefs will go 38-22. Uh, to 22.
1: All right. So pretty high score in there. James, we only have another minute or two left in this hour, so go ahead and give us your final thoughts today.
5: All right, my final thought would actually be is I would like to see Auburn actually make it to the March Madness Tournament. So i just have to see uh, if we're going to make that chance on Selection Sunday, this coming up Sunday as well. So I'm going to see where they're going to put us as well.
1: Yeah, of course, the uh, final Selection Sunday will be uh, in in mid-March, right before the NCAA Tournament, but I know the NCAA will reveal – uh, their top 16 seeds list in the coming days maybe that uh, i can't remember when exactly that is but it is in the next week or two but uh yeah we'll see how auburn is uh, is shaping out in that
5: all right sounds good and war eagle talk to y'all guys tomorrow
1: sounds good war eagle that is james from montgomery joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line appreciate james for that phone call as we are out of time for hour number one but stay tuned much more of your phone calls ahead in hour number two I uh, will also continue on breaking down that Auburn-Alabama game from last night. And, again, reminder that Auburn softball coach Mickey Dean will be coming up just around 4.30 today as the Auburn softball season starts at Jane B. Moore Field tomorrow. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Second
1: hour of sports call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with me here on this Thursday. A reminder that coming up in about a half hour or so, Auburn softball coach Mickey Dean will be with us to preview this upcoming 2024 season as the Tigers get going with a tournament in Jane B. Moore Field this weekend, including top 25 virginia tech but for now we want to go back to the orthopedic clinic phone line 334-887-3401 locally or toll free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 next up on the show ward damn steve For ward Wardam, steve is with us steve how are you this afternoon
6: well as brooks said i couldn't feel any better guys good afternoon to you ryan and brooks and uh, mr tv havoc
2: good afternoon
3: good afternoon to you too
6: you know uh that uh, high school gym uh the atmosphere sure wasn't too bad last night.
1: It was certainly rocking.
6: It was certainly rocking, yeah, it sure was. Uh, about those fouls, guys, uh, I was about to have a, a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a, uh, a, a stroke. What I saw, about, I think, the 12-minute, maybe the 12-15-minute maybe mark, and I saw we had six of our starters, on, I think most of our starters, had three fouls.
1: I I didn't notice uh, how many. I I know that six or seven guys, six six or seven, ended up with that. Uh, I was more focused about the overall foul total. And uh, again, I, as I said, with uh, about twelve minutes left, it was tied at twenty-two free throw wise at at that point in the game.
6: And I said, "Oh my gosh, we're going to lose our our best players," you know, uh, before the game, uh, the ten minute mark. And then Dylan Cardwell, I think it was Dylan, gets two fouls within 10 or 15 seconds of each other
1: yeah i mean again i'm i'm yes i mean every everyone got <laughs> everyone got fouls so, both teams and
6: and sears uh he couldn't get well he couldn't get a foul but like you said i know Jedi broom had no fouls
1: yeah broom was the uh only auburn player that played a lot i think aiden hallway also did not have a foul that played a lot but yeah broom did Broom somehow avoided it. Uh, He did not have a foul. Everyone uh, for Alabama, uh, I I guess. So I misread Pringle's earlier. I said he had four fouls. He drew four fouls, but so Pringle uh, avoided foul trouble as well.
6: Wow. Well, it's astounding when I see that sixty-four or foul points were scored by three of our players.
1: Yeah, uh, well, you have said fifty from Williams and Broom, and then right. you could either take Donaldson or you could take Baker Mazzara. There, they were both in double figures. Yeah.
6: Well, but um, try just to trade Trey at fourteen and uh, Chad Baker at thirteen. Right. So that uh, that's quite amazing. All right. With that said, guys, I just looked at Ken Palm's ranking of us. I think you mentioned we're ranked number four according to him in his criteria. Right.
3: That is correct. Yes. All
6: right. If you go by him and his rankings of those right now, where would uh, we be seeded?
3: Uh, Kim Palm doesn't do the bracketology. But, um, I know. But, I mean, I would imagine, well, this has Auburn as like the fourth best team, but that's just off the computer. But uh, all the brackets that I've seen has Auburn as around a four seed. But with the schedule that they have this month, they have plenty of opportunities to make that into a three and a two seed, and heck, even a one seed if they really want to. But that's uh, it's going to be tough work. But hey, that's why they play the games.
6: Well, so I'm trying to make sense, guys, and just you know, uh, you give me your take on because Ken Palm, you know, has a pretty high rank. If you're ranked that high, and then I go to the bracket matrix people, and they take all of these different, I guess, websites and prognosticators, CBS, you know, ESPN. And they have us as a five seed as of today.
3: That I mean, it, wow, it, it hasn't
6: been updated
1: since yesterday morning.
6: Well, it says update
1: February seventh. Yes, right. Yes, yeah, yesterday morning. Yep. Okay. Uh, again, there's there's obviously some disconnect. But uh, again, I would always caution not to just simply believe everything computer related. I mean, again, I know that the analytics have loved Auburn the, the whole season. Uh, Auburn just now getting their their first two quad one wins. They're certainly Uh, back on their way up. And I I think that they probably should be a three seed right now. That would be uh, my take. I think they are a top 12 team in the country, uh, probably top 10. Uh, But, again, they do have some challenges just because of how bad the non-conference schedule ended up being for them, that really everyone outside of Baylor – ended up being kind of a dud this year. I mean, honestly, like Virginia Tech's probably not going to the NCAA tournament. Notre Dame is definitely not going anywhere near that. Indiana's not going to the tournament unless they have a huge run. Uh, I mean, St. Bonaventure's just meh. USC's terrible. I mean, USC's not good at all. They're below 500. Uh, it's unfortunate because some of those programs are NCAA tournament caliber programs, but uh, I think that probably you're looking at just those non-conference opportunities just after further review just not, ending up being against very meaningful teams.
6: Uh, what way is given to, uh, say, say like, we lost to Baylor? Uh, should we be hoping and pulling for Baylor to continue with? Does that help us, or does it really matter?
1: Uh, I think since Auburn lost, it's probably less relevant. Uh, th- this is not a bubble situation. I think that if Auburn... Had won it, then yeah, you'd be pulling for him because you'd want him to stay a quad one game and make it look like an even better win. I think it's acknowledged as a, as a understandable loss. It's not Baylor's already past the point of making that look like a bad loss. So, uh, really, that would be inconsequential. You know, maybe Appalachian State, if they were to go win their league and be a tournament team, you know, that, that might be less hurtful. But again, you're, you're, we're really talking about. What Auburn really would have liked to have had happen is Indiana gone and been an NCAA tournament team. If USC had gone and lived up to their top 25 preseason ranking, that's really what would have been most helpful because those are teams that they beat.
6: All right. Uh, guys, I know it's way too early, um, but maybe I don't feel we have enough time to talk tomorrow. Coming up is our nemesis, and I don't know why they are such a nemesis for us. But, again, you know, I mentioned earlier, we have not beaten that damn team since 1996 at their place. I don't know what it is, but guys, how, how what's the matchup? How do you see the matchup with us in Florida on uh, Saturday?
1: Yeah, well, look, I, I, certainly w- we know about road struggles, although those are to the nth degree. Uh, we know prior to Bruce Pearl, obviously, Auburn walking into Gainesville, I mean, that was not going to go well. And, and uh, Bruce has lost a couple games down there that Auburn was probably the better team, so that you do factor that into recency here. Uh, look, Florida is a, is a pretty competent team. Uh, they have not played since last weekend. I believe TP mentioned that right, earlier they had in the a show. Week off. Yeah, they uh, they last played Texas A&M in a close physical game there. Uh, I think the moral of the story with Florida is that they are uh, at least a little bit more balanced than what we saw uh, with Alabama. Just in terms of they've got a couple of good guards that contribute. Uh, they've also got a really good forward, a, a good big guy that contributes. Um, so I, you know, I think that for them. Uh, it's about a Mike. I mean, look, look. Let's think of Mike White teams. So they are usually more on the defensive side of things. Well, excuse me. That was Mike White was the old Florida team. Uh, Todd Golden is the is the Florida coach now, and Todd Golden teams are more on the offensive side of things. Mike White obviously now at Georgia. We'll be talking about him in a couple weeks. But Todd Golden being a Bruce Pearl assistant, a he's going to know Bruce pretty well. Uh, But, B, what they tried to do at San Francisco at Todd Golden's first stop and what they're trying to do at Florida is they're trying to be another team that shoots a lot of three-pointers. But at least with them, they do have a little bit more physicality left over from some of those Mike White teams at Florida. Uh, So, again, they're kind of in a mix right now. But, uh, yeah, it's on the road. uh, Of course, I think Auburn's the better team. But on the road, I, I, I promise nothing.
6: Well. I was wondering how much of a negative is it uh, will have hurt us that we we just played a late Wednesday night game and we've got to play Saturday. They've had a whole week off.
1: Yeah, I'm not really into that. Uh, I, I I think that uh, you can make the argument either way. Um, you can lose rhythm if you're playing well. It's a great great opportunity to reset if you're not playing well. Um, as I said, Florida just had a very close loss, so maybe it is a good thing for them to reset. I. I think that the most relevant thing is not about Florida being off in the midweek. I think it's about Auburn playing a very emotional game in the midweek. I just saw North Carolina go and smack Duke around a little bit, and then Carolina lost to a Clemson team that's not as good as North Carolina. North Carolina had already gone to Clemson and won by 10, and they turn around the next game and lose on their home four. So I would be more worried about Auburn – being as focused and as intentional as they need to be on the heels of such an emotionally satisfying victory
6: okay so guys give me your best uh projection for the remaining eight games i'm saying our our best my best scenario is six and two my worst is four and four what's your agree agreed disagree with that
1: you, you know i think that's pretty solid steve i, I would say something around there i think that I think more than likely they're they're just gonna lose two games like like one maybe to Tennessee and just another one on the road just because and you know I think that's just how the sport works but I mean if you end up at what what would that be 25 and six I mean again that's looking at certainly a double by team in the SEC tournament it still might win the SEC or tie for it. Uh, and it will be probably about a three seed or so in the NCAA tournament, if I had to guess. So I think that I, I'm really kind of in lockstep, lockstep there. I think Auburn will go uh, very likely go 3-0 and in March. Uh, they play their one road game there is at Missouri. I can't see them losing at home to State or to Georgia. Uh, so really what we're talking about is the next five. And, if yeah, if it's absolute disaster, maybe they lose at Florida. Maybe they beat South Carolina but then maybe they lose three in a row to Kentucky at home, at Georgia, and at Tennessee. That's worst-case scenario. So I agree with you really in lockstep there on between four and four and six and two. But I I personally would lean towards six and two for this team.
6: All right, well, let's see what happens. Um, real quick, the guys, since Super Bowl's coming up, I caught this from the History Channel. On this date in 1936, the very first NFL draft occurred. Okay. Okay, and a person by the name, he played for University in Chicago. He's a halfback. His name was Jay Burwanger. He was the first also High School Trophy winner.
1: Oh, wow, yeah, I didn't know that.
6: Yeah, but he was picked by the Philadelphia Eagles. But guess what? He got traded immediately to the Chicago Bears. Okay. And here we go again. He never played for them. Huh. Nor did he play for any other NFL team.
1: They go to war? I <laughs> know what happened.
6: Do you know what happened? No. I,
1: I don't know what happened.
6: He, he went for a conversation or interview, I guess, with George Papa Bear Hallis, Bear's coach owner, uh, and he demanded uh, the contract that said, um, here's what I want. According to the New York Times, it says, I said $25,000 for two years and a no-cut contract. Then he says, we shook hands, said goodbye, and he and I have been good friends ever since. So that's what oh. happened uh, so he never played a lick in the NFL he went up according to Hitchie channel, being a foam salesman uh, oh. believe it or not that, that's pretty and, fun <laughs> yeah uh, and then uh, let's see he, he went on to uh, yeah he finished some course he graduated from uh, Chicago University uh, he tried to uh, win a place on the Olympic team didn't make it and uh, that's basically uh, all I said about it so he died when he was 88 years old. So that's what happened there. And real quickly, maybe we'll get into tomorrow. Uh, the history behind the word Super Bowl, it was never one to be called the Super Bowl. Uh, the NFL commissioner at that time didn't like it. He wanted to call it maybe the NFL championship game because at that time they had merged. Uh, they thought, in fact, the owners, the league owners thought it was corny. But uh, I'll tell you tomorrow uh, how a guy changed the Super Bowl. Sure. All right, and real quickly, guys, here are some trends they're are just statistical trends okay so um, i'm not sure if they actually are causation but many correlations but these are trends and it comes from uh, the desert news uh writer suggests the Chiefs will win the super bowl so here are your trends guys for chief fans okay all right are you ready yep okay all right um uh, This is not
1: trending in the right direction, Steve.
6: No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, Okay. Uh, forget about taxes, yards, and touchdowns. There are only two statistics worth noting when trying to determine this year's Super Bowl winner. Both of them favor the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, according to Chicago-based social media user Jay Kuda, who has a platform formerly known as Twitter, of course, Friday morning detailing each instance in the past 30 years when Super Bowl opponents have met in the middle, battle against each other in the last 30 years here we go every time the super bowl has been played in between the two teams the one team traveling east and the one team traveling west the team traveling west has won
1: and i yeah i i would have never known that i would have never put that together
6: well with this year's game taking place in las vegas the chiefs will head west san francisco 49ers will be traveling east
1: all right, that is okay. that is odd.
6: And this is this trend has occurred for the past three decades.
1: Yeah, that, so that, that's
6: that's not statistical anomaly. That's just quite a uh, correlation there.
1: There you go. More Chiefs Chiefs win confirmed.
6: <laughs> so how about he says the sample size has nothing to call fast. He says since 1994, each westbound franchise emerged victorious when facing an opponent that flew east for the big game. It's happened seven times since 2002. All right? And then we go on. There's more. He also dove into a lunar analysis as part of his pregame research. Okay, here we go, fans. The Super Bowl is set to play. be played on February 11th, when the shining lights of Vegas will be washed over by a bright, waxy crescent moon, similar to that which the fisherman boy floats onto in the DreamWorks animation logo. Yeah. Okay. Well, this crescent moon, guys, has been extremely kind to Kansas City. Hold on. In the past five years, I couldn't believe this one, the Chiefs are 19-1 in games played when the moon was in that crescent moon phase,
3: including... Who is looking Horn, this stuff you know, up? Someone had too much time on their hands.
6: <laughs> well, he's a statistician. His name is Jay Kuda. Yeah. C U D A. But anyway, so... Uh, in- and when this happens, the Chiefs are 19-1 in games played when the moon was in that crescent moon phase, and they're 4-0 in the postseason when this has happened.
1: Again, Chiefs lock confirmed. Take it to Vegas.
6: Okay. Now, the only loss, only, Kansas' only blemish over that span was a 38-20 loss to Josh Allen's Buffalo Bills in October 2021. But that can be said easily chalked up to random chance.
1: Uh, okay? Yeah. Yep.
6: So there you go.
1: If you didn't know it now, now you do.
6: Now now we know why the Chiefs should probably win, right?
1: Yep. Confirmed. Can't pick against them now.
6: There we go. And, Kate, tomorrow, guys, I'll just give you a bit of a uh, teaser here, like uh, some TV commentators like to do. Uh, SpongeBob will be doing uh, some of the NFL um, uh, announcements and play-by-play.
1: Yeah, on the Nickelodeon, yep. Yeah, you knew that, huh? I hadn't heard about it.
6: Okay. All right. And uh, oh, just thought you'd like this. I know you guys don't don't gamble, but apparently, according to uh, Morning Consult, who did a survey for the American Gaming Association I that gaming. I thought gaming was like playing video games, right?
1: Not not but in anyway, that case. Yeah, not in that case. No, not in this no. case.
6: Sixty-seven point eight million people are expected in the U.S. Okay, to bet on the Super Bowl.
1: Okay. Yeah.
6: Now. Why is this telly? Well, that apparently is an increase of 35% from last year's Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I know more, more states. It's becoming legalized. I think that has something to do with it.
6: And here's how much money is expected to be bet. Hold on your seats here. $23.1 billion on this Super Bowl is expected to be bet.
2: And that's why uh, the NFL has really <laughs> embraced Vegas, and that's why a few years ago you would have never seen the Super Bowl being played in Vegas, and now they got a team there, and they're playing the Super Bowl there.
6: Right. In fact, they, they stayed away from, uh, from, from betting at all. Uh, by the way, last year, um, $16 billion was, uh, was bet.
1: Yeah. There you go.
6: There you go, guys. That, that's it. That's all I got. Thank you for your time. I'll come with more uh, Super Bowl nonsense uh, tomorrow then. So until then, have a safe afternoon, guys, and War Eagle.
2: War Eagle. That was retired Wardham Steve joining us on the uh, Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Uh, yeah. The moon. The moon. The moon. I
3: didn't expect some um, moon talk for the Super Bowl, but you know what? We, you know, I expect a little bit of gambling, a little bit of sports talk, but I wanna, but, but
2: moon cycles? I want to know who's looking this up. Who's taking the Someone time? Someone was really bored. Who's taking the time? I want to know. Here's, here's what I want to know is what cycle does the moon have to be on for Auburn to beat Alabama in the Iron Bowl? Um,
1: well, see, uh, I think I have the perfect caller. Uh, for just who just called in after after Steve's call. There's two ways of looking at what Steve just did there. There's some betters that are going to actually be using that, and then there is Jeff from Columbus, who is with us now. And, Jeff, I'm sure that you thoroughly enjoyed and are now rushing to make your selections based off of Steve what just said.
6: Oh,
7: my God. What <laughs> is going on? Man, who's got more time on their hands, the person that thought of it or the person that thought we gave it? about it. My goodness. The moon phase. Oh, my gosh. It, it, maybe if this was a fishing report or something, somebody would care. And then, man, golly, Steve, please give us a break. I am not going to listen tomorrow to get a SpongeBob report from you either. Oh, gosh. Man, I almost made it through the whole week without getting flustered, but now I'm flustered.
2: Do you think SpongeBob and the moon are, are in cahoots?
7: Yeah. Now we're going, Yeah, there you go. The lunar, he'll have some reason why SpongeBob Gridley, the high tide brought it in, it's the moon phase and that's why we're having this pre game show with SpongeBob. Oh my gosh.
1: Well I, I someone needs to analyze the puppy bowl next. Like who whatever oh, kind yeah. of dog wins no, that, you know?
7: That is, yeah. That's okay. Well, I know it is a slow time of year, but it's never that dang slow. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Yeah, talk some equestrian or some swimming and diving. You know, I mean, well, no, because I'll call in about that too. But I just, man, I just had to get my points in. Sure. And uh, maybe, maybe I'll have an opportunity tomorrow. I'm going out of town for the weekend and stuff starting tomorrow, but I may swing by and see y'all. I know how you enjoy it when I come by. and and bust your chops. So, well, Jeff, that may Jeff, be an
2: we've got an app Sir? if you want to listen to him on the way out of town.
7: <laughs> um, I, hey, I. the sad thing is I do. I just <laughs> get wild uh, You know what I'm saying? My wife goes, why do you put yourself through this? I go, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's gosh. It's like oh, watching yeah. a bad movie over and over again. Thinking <laughs> of that, I'm surprised... Steve, give us an update on your latest movie pick or something, okay? But, hey, I'm going to let you all go. I'm going to have a heart attack. You all have a great weekend.
1: Appreciate it, Jeff. You too. That is Jeff from Columbus joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Yeah, uh, again, like like I said, I I didn't know that the moon would help me out in my theory that the Chiefs were going to win. But uh, if you're into that, then, hey, you've, you've got all the proof you need there. Uh, but uh, we certainly appreciate those phone calls, uh, Jeff from Columbus, Retired War and Steve. Again, coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to get uh, to Auburn head softball coach Mickey Dean ahead of the 2024 Tigers campaign. Of course, uh, Auburn opening with a top 25 opponent this weekend. And then, of course, next weekend, Butch Thompson's Auburn Baseball Club gets going, so the batted ball sports are here Uh, So we'll talk to Coach Gene here in just a second. Before we do that, though, uh, we do need to go ahead and get to today's Birthdays in Sports. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. All right, Birthdays in Sports. uh, Sports, TP Hammock will take it away today. Absolutely.
3: Our first birthday of the day is Dino uh, Brooks. Can we get our last names? Uh Sicarelli. Yes. Yes, that. He is sixty four years old. I love a, hockey names. Yep, he is a former NHL player. He was most notably played for the Detroit Red Wings, where he had his third highest scoring season. He's in his career he scored twelve hundred points in his NHL career. His six hundred and eight career NHL goals are also the most goals scored by a draft eligible player who was not drafted by an NHL team. And Ciccarelli was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2010 uh, Dino, if he went to a high school, I sure couldn't find him. So, <laughs> so, happy birthday to Dino. And next up is a more recognizable name, and Alonzo Mourning. He is turning 54 years old, former NBA center. Mourning is considered to be one of the best defensive centers of all time. Mourning played his college career at Georgetown Go Hoyas, Go Hoyas, where he was a three-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year alongside Big East Player of the Year. He was drafted second overall in the 1992 NBA draft by the Sharks. Hornets. Morning would go on to have a very successful NBA career as a 7-time All-Star, All-NBA First Team, All-NBA Second Team, and a 2-time NBA Defensive First Team, and alongside that with two Defensive Player of the Year awards to his name. His number 33 is retired by the Miami Heat, and in 2014, he was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, Alonzo Morning turns 54. Julio Jones is turning 35, current Philadelphia Eagle. Jones played high school football at Foley High School in Foley, Alabama. Go, boo. Lions. Boo. No. go lions boo no don't go lions i have it on my notes no don't jones, go lions go lions <laughs> joe you can you'll have to say the next one jones then went on to play at the university of alabama go on brooks no okay no Be- before being selected six overall by the atlanta falcons then he would become an all-time great becoming a seven-time pro bowler two-time All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, and led the league in receiving yards twice. Jones currently has over 13,000 receiving yards and 66 touchdowns. Julio Jones, Foley native, is turning 35 Don't today. go
2: Lions. <laughs> it was on my notes. Don't put it on your notes. Foley's a no-go. I
3: Ugh. forgot to read off Alonzo Mourning. He went to Indiana River High School. Go Braves. Okay. Okay. And finally, Klay Thompson, a man that Ryan really loves, is turning 34 years old today. He is a current Golden State Warrior. Thompson is considered to be one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. He played college basketball at Washington State University. Go Cougs. Go Cougs, where he was a two time first team All Pac 10 selection. He was selected 11th overall by the Warriors in the 2011 NBA draft. He has had an incredible career, becoming a four time NBA champion and a five time All Star. His number one is retired by Washington State. And Clay Thompson went to, I'm going to try to pronounce this right,
1: Santa Margarita Catholic High School. Go Eagles. There you go. Clay Thompson. Uh, I did that on purpose. but uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, Clay Thompson. One of the great shooters of all time is starting to decline. But uh, that's
2: a good list of birthdays. Could you tell that I haven't done birthdays in a while? I had a little little energy behind it. Yeah. yeah. Go yeah. Lions. No. No. Not go Lions. Well,
1: we're going to go ahead and take our next break before Brooks and TP go at each other completely there. Uh, on the other side of this break... Auburn head softball coach Mickey Dean will join us. We'll talk about the 2024 season, the roster, the schedule up ahead next. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here. And we are now pleased to be joined by the head softball coach of Auburn University, Coach Mickey Dean, with us today. Coach Dean, obviously the season is finally here. Just how exciting is it to be getting ready to play some Auburn softball?
8: Well, War Eagle this morning. Uh, we're, we're excited to get going. Uh, today's opening day. Uh, we actually open up tomorrow. So, uh... You know, we uh, we have uh, some top 20 games this weekend and uh, looking to see exactly what we're good at and what we need to work on.
1: Absolutely. So before we get to the roster this year and to the, the tough non-conference schedule and those sort of things, I do want to ask you about... Kind of transitioning from last year into this year because obviously the team was so close to getting host, uh, getting to host a regional. How much does that motivate you to kind of get over that proverbial hill and and know that uh, you're that close to being one of those top sixteen teams and getting the opportunity to play postseason baseball at Jane or postseason softball at Jane B Moore Field.
8: Well, you know, we thought we had done enough last year, but evidently we didn't. So, but last year, last year, and our focus is, was- has really been on this year and this year's uh, team. So, uh, you know, we want to we want to build on what we've been working on, and and uh, you know, we have an opportunity this year. We uh, we play Alabama the last series of the season, and then we host the SEC tournament, and uh, we have that opportunity to uh, host the regional super regional and and uh, get to sleep in our own beds until Oklahoma City. So. You know, uh, you don't want to put the uh, cart before the horse, but uh, we know the opportunity is there, and we want to make sure that we're focused going in.
2: Coach, you, you returned uh, a good portion of your pitching staff from last year, and, and especially with uh, an All American and Maddie Pinto. What's it like to have the consistency there in the circle these last few years with Pinto low and now Annabelle Weidger coming back?
8: Well, I think it allows your team to play a little more with a little more ease and confidence because. Uh, they you know pretty much know what they're going to get in the circle and so that it gives them that confidence and uh, this year you know we have seven pitchers uh, and all seven have the, a chance to really be effective uh, and uh, you know we haven't had this we haven't been this deep in the circle uh, since I've been here so it's going to be nice to be able to give, give those kids that going to use a whole lot in the uh, conference uh, part of the season to be able to give them some rest in those midweeks and, and head it into conference play. Uh, so we'll see We'll see how that works for us.
1: And, Coach, I know for Maddie Penta, her sister Mariah Penta now uh, with the squad, how much has that kind of excited her as she's prepared for this season? And then what can we expect out of Mariah Penta?
8: Well, you know, I, I think... Uh, Maddie really enjoyed that in the fall, and now we got to the spring, and she's so focused. Uh, I think I may have to remind her sometimes that her sister's <laughs> on the team because, you know, she just she's just really uh, honed in. And Mariah's the same way, uh, really focused on her game. And uh, you know, Mariah's been between a good bat, and so uh, we're looking looking forward to seeing what what she can do when we cut the lights on and and uh, put her in the lineup and see
1: how she reacts to the crowd and plays. And, Coach, we know you've got a lot of returning players also in your lineup, and I think one of the uh, key players will certainly be someone like Nelia Peralta, who had a big season for you last year. But uh, what do do you want to see out of her as she continues her improvement? And then also how do you kind of see things stacking up behind her in terms of some other important players looking to take that next step from last year's team? Yeah, I
8: think what upperclassmen can be most helpful is is, is pulling people up with them. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's one thing to be able to work on your game and become a better player and, and all that stuff, but it's, it's even more important to be able to pull people along and, and help them with their game. And, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen y'all really really work on that in the fall and early here this spring. Just taking some of those young players and, and uh, you know, being another coach on the field. Uh, she's our elder statesman in the middle infield, and uh, you know it, it, it's time for her, and, and she's doing a good job of of becoming that coach on the field, and uh, she's beginning to be more vocal. Uh, Nell's always been a very confident offensive player, and now it looks like she's being able to take that onto the field into her defense as well.
2: Coach Dean Ryan mentioned uh, uh, Maddie Penta's sister a little bit earlier, but I want to go to the the rest of the the newcomers in uh, for your team. Uh, your freshman class is highly touted, and you've added uh, a few decorated uh, transfers over this last off season. Talk about some of the new girls on your uh, on your ball club, and and who you think is going to have a big impact this season.
8: Yeah, I thought we did a pretty nice job of adding to some of the areas we felt we needed uh, some some depth or some immediate impact. And, uh, you know, you've got Talia Martin, who swings a really good bat, uh, has really great speed, and uh, we, we've moved her to left field, and she seems to really caught on. She had a really good practice the last couple of days, and so we're excited about that. you got Callis Stroud, who's a big power hitter. Gap to gap, has power, uh, plays first base. Uh, and then you have uh, Chaley Clemens, who's a lefty pitcher. Uh, so that gives us two left-handed pitchers, gives us a lot of depth there, plays first base, and a big lefty power hitter. So, it's a, you know, it's nice to add those things. Then you have Milena Tambora, who uh, is really this year focusing on her pitching. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to see what she can do because she's you know, she's touching that 68 mile an hour, and, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to catch up with. So, been working on some different pitches with her. Um, I think I hit all the freshmen. You'll have to correct me if I did not. And then, of course, we have the two transfers uh, Anna, uh, who's a catcher, corner, uh, hit for uh, a good batting average. Uh, but also had some pop in her bats from the left-handed side. And then Amelia Leck, who, uh who is a first baseman, right fielder, uh, a lot of pop, uh, a lot of home runs, doubles. And so that was a bats from the right side, and so that was a nice combination to bring in.
1: And Coach Dean, we've talked a little bit about the, the end of the schedule. I do want to talk a little bit about – this beginning here because uh, you get the opportunity to play a top 25 Virginia Tech squad twice in opening weekend coming up here at Jane B. Moore Field and then usually the team has been going to, uh, to St. Pete Clearwater tournament this year uh, going down to the Porto Valerda College Challenge uh, just talk about the opportunity to play such high quality teams such as that Virginia Tech team such as Utah Clemson all in the first couple weekends of the year
8: yeah, you know, if you take a look at a recruiting cycle, we've been kind of developing and growing this team, and now we have a lot of juniors. Uh, we have 10 juniors, uh, so we're a very junior, senior-laden team. Uh, and we really need to find out early uh, just just who we are, what we need to work on, what we're really good at. And so, you know, in our first nine games, I think five of them are against top 25 opponents. And so it's going to give us a real good gauge before we head into that SEC schedule of where we are and what we really need to work on.
1: And uh,
8: and that, that was the purpose of that schedule.
1: And then, Coach Steen, as you did allude to a little bit earlier, uh, you do finish with Alabama at home. Obviously that means so much. Uh, to to everyone that that follows and loves Auburn, uh, and then you get the opportunity to host the SEC tournament this year. What does that mean to you, and how exciting is that to know uh, that you're going to have the opportunity to, to play that SEC tournament at home?
8: Yeah, I mean for for our players, it's nice you know to be able to sleep in your own bed. Uh, that that last weekend has been tough. A couple of times where you're on the road, and then all of a sudden. Uh, in two days, you're playing in the SEC tournament, so travel kind of hectic. Uh, kids are kind of tired. So for them, it would be nice to be at home our last series and be at home for the SEC tournament. And then, of course, it's going to be really nice to bring it home for our fans, uh, bring the SEC, t- uh, SEC tournament here. It's been a while, and, uh, you know, uh just looking forward to the excitement there and, and bringing that to our community and into Auburn.
2: And then, Coach, we, we talked about the new additions on the player side of things. I want to go shift to the coaching staff. You kind of reshuffled things this offseason. You keep Eugene Linti as an, uh, an assistant coach. You elevated Emily Carasoni to associate head coach, and then you added Hannah Sparks as an assistant coach. Talk about that staff going into this year where you've got a couple uh, returning pieces and then the, the new uh, new face with Hannah Sparks.
8: Yeah, I think, you know, just like uh a team, the staff has to be developed and, and redeveloped and um uh, you 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 try to do what you think is best for your program and uh you know uh we mm-hmm. the one thing we're really able to do that's important is being consistent uh with our coaching staff and and, 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 and not having the turnover there and then um you know, elevating Emily to to the associate head coach, um, I, I think she's earned it. She's been here since she was a freshman in college. Um, uh, I think she's been here for like 20 years, it seems like. But, uh, you know, uh, she earned that, and so we elevated her that, to that position. And then, we, of course, we added a, a, a third assistant coach, and it gave us an opportunity to go out and hire somebody who could really just hone in and work with the catchers. Uh, we felt like we needed someone to, to be able to, uh, for the catchers to have someone to go to and someone who had played the position. Uh, we've all coached the position, but we haven't all played the position. And, and Hannah was a really nice uh, addition to do that. And, you know, her background, it's very strong in softball. She's from this area, played at Oklahoma, has played in the World Series, uh, so you've got, you know, uh, Emily and Hannah on staff who who have actually, young females who have actually played in the College World Series, and I think uh, our players can take advantage of that, that history.
1: And, Coach, we'll close with this today. I know that you uh, care... Uh, deeply to, to work with the, the pitching staff. You've, you've been known to work with some great pitchers and develop them. What are your goals for, again, that staff this year, and just overall for the team as you, again, start strong with some, some tough competition and work your way into a tough SEC schedule?
8: Well, you know, with your pitching staff, you want diversity as far as what they, they, each, they each throw. Um, and uh, with as deep of a staff as we have, we want our, our – staff, each individual will go out there and be as good as it can be. And, you know, if it's one time through the lineup, then great. If it's close the game, great. If it's to go out there and pitch seven innings, awesome. Uh, Whatever that role calls for in that game, and just perform at your top level uh, and, and allow the cards to play out.
1: Auburn softball coach Mickey Dean joining us today on the program. Coach Dean, as always, we certainly appreciate the time. We look forward to seeing your squad in action in just a few short hours, basically. Uh, We really appreciate the time today, and again, wish you all the best this year.
8: War Eagle, and thank you all a bunch. Appreciate you.
1: War Eagle. That is Coach Mickey Dean joining us today on Sports Call. So there you have it, the head softball coach of Auburn University, Coach Mickey Dean, joining the program just a uh, little earlier today. Played it for you right there. If you missed any of it, it is available on the Sports Call Podcasters and by Coca-Cola as soon as the show gets posted tonight. Got about three or four minutes left in this hour uh, before we head to the 5 o'clock hour, so just briefly kind of piggybacking off of that. As you heard us allude to in the interview Got top 25 Virginia Tech coming in the JB b Moorfield. I will be forthcoming. Uh, I do weather here, as we joke about around the office from time to time. Saturday and Sunday's not looking the best. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. Of course, you can play in some rain. You cannot play in pouring rain. So they got a shot at it because uh, I don't think it's going to be severe or anything this weekend. But uh, might be some alterations to the schedule this weekend. So we'll keep an eye on that. But you bring in a top 25 team in, in one of these Tiger invite ter- types of tournaments, and then they go down to Mexico. They'll have a couple of ranked teams uh, Utah, and I believe Clemson uh, in, in Mexico. Of course, Clemson, very highly ranked team, took Auburn out of the tournament uh, in the past. And so they, you heard it from Coach Dean in there. Like, this is a program that's been trying to build over time. He says he has 10 or more junior seniors. And it's kind of time to not work into a season, but to kind of already evaluate where they're at this year. And so Auburn will go from the get-go in kind of rarer air of playing some really high-quality teams early on.
3: Yeah, I think that's important. You know, to make those deep tournament runs, you can't just play you know roast beef tech every other week. You know, you got to play some real killers. And so Clemson's a killer. I you know I just I just looked it up. They are they are ranked seventh. Right now, in the uh, in the polls that came out from this posting from uh, NCAA. So I mean, uh, you know, Clemson's the number seven ranked team. You know, Virginia Tech is ranked twenty third. Utah is ranked sixteenth. I applaud it. I absolutely applaud it. I think that's how you get better, especially in softball. I think you absolutely have to take those lumps and you have to get better because we we saw that last year. I covered a lot of the softball games with the Auburn Plainsman, the student paper, and. They started off good, but they didn't play any good teams. Whenever they went out to Oklahoma for the Hall of Fame Classic or something like that, they played Oklahoma, they played uh, uh, Weber State, and they played um, Northwestern, Northwestern. and and it didn't go well for them. But after that tournament, they played you know, they played pretty difficult talent, but they did really well after that. They had kinda hit a slump, but then they woke up, it felt like that jolted them awake. I'm hoping that this, you know, playing them so early, you know, you can really keep that momentum for the whole entire season because it jolted them awake and they finished out the season incredibly well to the point where I and many people think they should have hosted a regional. But I you know, they didn't get the chance to, you know, they were they were considered the best second seed or whatnot because they went out and played at uh, 16-seeded Clemson. So I think this is a really good opportunity for the Tigers, and uh, I look forward, as someone who loves
1: watching softball, I look forward to seeing what they got this season. And look to a unique opportunity to get uh, to host the SEC tournament because, of course, it's something Auburn's not done in a while. That's something that uh, with the other Uh, sports that are not football and basketball. I mean, these are rotating venues and for softball to get to host. And that is an exciting opportunity. And, look, you put two and two together, Auburn can play an an incredible amount of important softball at home to finish the season. They will finish with Alabama. Of course, that series will always mean a lot. Then they have the SEC tournament. And then if they can climb that proverbial hill and get to the top 16 seed – then they would have the first group of NCAA tournament play around a round of 64 at j b Moore Field. So the, the opportunity is going to be there for Auburn if they are in that 12 to 20 range to solidify a postseason spot on their home field, not only to finish the regular season, but to begin the postseason with the SEC tournament. So we appreciate Auburn head softball coach Mickey Dean for joining us right there. Again, that is going to be available after the show on our sports call podcast page of course available wherever you may get your podcast we are out of time for hour number two coming up in the third and final hour a little more basketball from last night not only Auburn Alabama but in the SEC we'll update you on the SEC standings race Uh, and also get to our sports call five at five in just a moment as well you're listening to the Thursday edition of sports call live on tiger 95.9 Third and final hour of Sports Calls starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and TP Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of the show. Coming up in just a second, we will get to Sports Calls 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. Uh, Also, just to catch you up on speed, so far we've been talking a lot of Auburn and Alabama basketball from last night. Of course, tomorrow we will look ahead to Auburn, Florida. Also tomorrow... Uh, We will be getting into our Super Bowl prop bets. I will give uh, Brooks here the opportunity uh, in a little bit some point in this third hour to go ahead and make his call on the Super Bowl since he won't be on the show tomorrow. But uh, otherwise, our big Super Bowl preview day is tomorrow. Uh, Also on the show so far today, we have taken some great phone calls and had a chat with Auburn head softball coach Mickey Dean ahead of their season opener against Virginia Tech tomorrow. Now it's time for the Sports Call 5 at 5, and as always, it's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334 707 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call, 5 at 5. Yesterday was National Signing Day, and again, there was really not much going on, not only at Auburn, but really at the majority of schools, just a player here and there committing. But since it was Signing Day yesterday, we do want to remind you of some of the recruiting happenings from the 2024 cycle now that it is basically complete so what we'll do is we'll do the top five sec recruiting classes and we'll give you a moment or two and just a recap of auburn's recruiting class specifically so Uh, For the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, officially the top five classes recruiting-wise for football in the 2024 cycle out of the SEC. Number one was Georgia. No surprise there. Georgia ends up number one in the league and in the country. They end up with five five five-star players, 18 four-stars, and five three-stars. This is via on three uh, because they do the industry breakdown, that sort of thing. But Georgia ends up with number one class in the league and overall in the country. Number two. Also number two in the league and in the country is Alabama. They end up with four five-star players, 16 four-stars, and six three-star players. The average for Georgia's came out to 92.67. The average for Alabama's comes out to 92.40. That ends up being third. Ohio State ended up being second on average there, but just behind Alabama because of signing a couple less players. Uh, but very close margin there. But Alabama ends up just behind Georgia in the league and in the country. Number three. Third highest ranked class in the league. It's it's time. Texas. Yep, I'm going there because none of these players will play down in the Big 12 Conference. So Texas ends up with the number three recruiting class in the SEC, and they end up sixth overall in the country. You officially had Ohio State, Oregon, Miami ahead of them. But Texas lands one five-star player, 16 four-stars, and five three-stars Their average of 91.60 ends up being pretty darn solid. It was a better average than Miami, who was just above them, but uh, would fall in about fifth overall in the country. So Texas, uh, again, recruiting all those players to play in the SEC. Third in the league, sixth overall in the country. Number four. LSU, no strangers to the top ten in the recruiting world. They end up with a number four recruiting class in the Southeastern Conference. They end up seventh overall in the country two five-star players 17 four stars 10 three stars that's 29 total uh so their average was a little bit lower than some of the teams around them i'll go ahead and tell you that 8 10 uh and 11 were all some of the teams that ends up having a slightly better average than them so really lsu's average star rating would rank out about 10th or 11th in the country uh, but they end up with the number seven class because they did sign at 29 players And last, but certainly not least, Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, the top five recruiting classes in the 2024 cycle from the Southeastern Conference. Number five is the Auburn Tigers. They finished eighth overall in the country, fifth in the Southeastern Conference, one five-star, 11 four-stars, eight three-stars. Again, this via on three. I know some had Perry Thompson a five-star, some did not, uh, but uh, ends up in the industry ranking being one five, 11 fours, and eight threes. That 91.17 average, though, is solid because it is one of the teams that would be a little bit better than LSU. It would be better than Miami. Uh, it would have a, a couple below it, such as Florida, that would be a little above it. So Auburn being eighth in recruiting is probably fair, both in average and quantity there as the Tigers land 21 players. Uh, and so that's the sports call 5% Five, five by Southeastern Land Group. We'll go ahead and tell you about the other SEC schools. So that was the top five, meaning Auburn – 5th in the conference, 8th in the country. Oklahoma, got to count them now. They are 6th in the conference, ninth in the country. Florida does land two 5-star players, even amongst all the turmoil. They lost a lot of players, it felt like, uh, in the days and weeks leading up to the December signing period. Florida does end up number 10 overall in the country, but still 7th in the SEC. 8th in the SEC, the Tennessee Volunteers. They also had two 5-star players, 10-4s, 9-3s. That ends up 13th in the country. So halfway through the SEC is still 13th in the country in terms of the 2024 class. Number 17 overall in the country, ninth in the league, was Texas A&M. Of course, that class kind of had to be put back together a little bit as Jimbo Fisher was fired midseason. Mike Elko coming in getting a couple guys late. They only signed 17, so their average was quite good at 91.11. But they are ending up at 17th, ninth in the league, 10th in the league, and 19th overall, Ole Miss. Of course, they did not sign a five-star player. Of course, they did have a good portal cycle, as they usually do, but not exactly uh, the creme de la creme. And the high school ranks still solid for the country, 19th, but 10th in the league. 11th in the SEC was South Carolina. They were 20th uh, overall in the country. One five-star, nine four-stars, six three-star. So, again, not, not a team that signed a ton of players, Sixteen. Then in 12th, you would have Missouri, 21st overall in the country, 12th in the league, still top 25 in your 12th in the SEC. Of course, Missouri trying to parlay some of that momentum from on the field uh, there into the recruiting world, but still 21st overall. Kentucky rounds out the top 25, 13th-ranked SEC class, 7-4 stars, 14-3 stars for the Wildcats. But just behind them in twenty-six was Mississippi State. So they had no five stars, five four stars. Of course, they moved on very quickly from Zach Arnett. Uh, so they're twenty sixth, fifteenth in the SEC, uh, but twenty eighth in the country. Arkansas. So we've we've done everyone but one. I know you're gonna be shocked who's last, but Arkansas is twenty eighth in the country yet fifteenth in the SEC. That is how the recruiting world uh, goes for this league. And finally, we find Vanderbilt again in the scope of the country. Look. I will say this. I don't, know, I don't need to like spend a whole 10 minutes on it. Vanny still comes up with the number 39 class in the country. Uh, so 2-4 star, 19-3 uh, star. Look, I understand that it's not better than any of the SEC schools. I get it. But if you are still 39th in the country... You should not be losing any embarrassing group of five games if you are truly top 50, top 40 classes. I will say that. I know we expect absolutely nothing out of Vanderbilt football, like minimal as possible, but if you are truly 39th and you truly have the coach hire figured out, win your non-conference games, please. Uh, don't lose to Hawaii or UNLV or somebody. So uh, Vanderbilt finishes uh, dead last in the SEC, but 39th in the country, 2-4 stars, 19-3 stars. For the Commodores. All right, that was a lot. Uh, anything stand out to you, SEC-wise, guys? Before we move on to again, just one more time about Auburn's recruiting class in particular.
2: Um, I I guess you know well the the one that stands out to me is is the you know inclusion with Texas and Oklahoma in there, but it's it you know it, it's it's an interesting uh it it's you know you you've got to put them in there. Now but it's it's just a, again, it's just interesting to see their their names associated with uh with the s e c now because you're right those players will never play a down of big twelve football um other than that uh really you know i'll I'll say this i think Ole miss. Being down a little bit in the uh, in the the bottom half of the the SEC recruiting rankings for this past year, I think kind of surprised me. I know they've done a lot of work in the portal, but the the fact that it's it's you can kind you can see now like you you know it it's on a computer screen, but you can put it on paper that they are Lane Kiffin is is selling hard into the portal and trying to and trying to turn teams around year by year with portal. Rather than be in the top half of the SEC, because I, SEC, because we know, and I, I know that you know, you you look at how it, how it was done at Ole Miss and it wasn't the the most ethical of ways at, at times. But Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss had. Big recruiting classes at Ole Miss. So you know that it, you can get big time recruiting classes at Ole Miss. Maybe not fully consistently like you can at Alabama or Texas or Georgia or something like. That, but you can get some of these. And with a guy like Lane Kiffin, you can recruit highly in in the high school ranks. But the, this just kind of shows that he is, you know, going head on, head first into the portal, and and is finishing, you know, bottom half of the SEC now in in uh, in high school recruiting. I think also the fact that. Uh, a team like Texas A and M right now is below a team like Florida. Florida, it just it feels it seems like you know and we talked about it uh, at the early signing period. Florida leaked quite a few big time recruits, and the fact that a team like Texas A and M is still below them in the in the groups. I mean, you look at the teams that are all above the uh, above Florida you that makes sense. The the one team that I don't think makes sense right now besides uh besides Ole Miss to be ranked below Florida is Texas A and M. They've got the they've got the facilities, they've got the the booster backing. They they have a you know Mike Elko is a, a name in the coaching world that is uh is good. It's not like uh, you know high school kids are like who's Mike Elko? What are, you know, you know who Mike Elko is. He's a he's a he's got ties to the school. Um the fact that they are they are rated below Florida right now in the in the recruiting rankings um, is just it, it it baffles me a little bit. I, I think that they'll get there, uh, and especially if if the trend continues with how the recruiting has gone with Florida, and if Billy Napier is no longer the head coach there after this coming year, um, I, I think that it, it'll get back to that where they're above it. But that that's kind of shocking that. One, Ole Miss is is so low in the rankings, but two, that both Ole Miss and Texas A&M are are below Florida right now.
3: So, um, I I agree with you. It, It felt a little weird to hear Texas be named in that, but to be fair, this happened last week while we were on the show. I turned it on the Big Ten Network, and they were showing all time Big Ten scoring leaders for women's basketball and they had Kelsey Plum who went to Washington and it made me and it made oh. me cringe. I said, oh
2: you can't, you can't said, do that.
1: Well they did. And uh,
2: they that did that one
1: that one I will contest more because that did not happen in their conference. No oh, no I agree. I like, was like Ugh. I was like, like what the, is that? The reason <laughs> to include these recruiting guys is again they will never play it down. Right. In the she played conference. all of her right. career there. Exactly.
3: But nevertheless, no, I, I agree with you. You know, Florida lost a lot. They almost lost the crown jewel of their class if had it not been just too late in the site. They almost lost LJ McRae to Auburn. That was close. And they almost lost DJ Lagway to USC. And yet they were able to keep them and they're number eight in the country in I mean, I don't think many people confidently believe that Billy Napier will be there after this season. I sure don't. But, um, you know, Auburn did really well. Oklahoma did fine, you know, with Brent Venables at number five. And, uh, you know, Brian Kelly, he, he's doing well down there in the bayou. And uh, I've been, you know, SEC recruiting went about the way that I expected. But, um, you know, Arkansas was really far down there, you know, that they had such a rough year and. They're down there with Vanderbilt. So, I mean, you know, they had done better on the recruiting trail. I know they've gotten a bunch of guys from the state of Alabama, but they've really fallen off. And uh, like you said with Ole Miss, they just fully committed to the portal. Forget high school recruiting. Uh, they're just going all out in the portal. And I wonder – I wonder if that's eventually going to come back and bite them because those are just more rentals. You know, you're not really developing those. But nevertheless, they're getting some pretty good production out of them right now, so
1: I guess we'll just have to see and uh, see how it all plays out. Yeah, and look, that's why with with Arkansas, they're 28th in the country, but you can't look at it like, okay, well, that means Arkansas should be the 28th best team in the country. Well, they're having to play literally 14 of the top 27 uh, because, again, everyone – uh, in the SEC uh, except for Vanderbilt's above them. So they've got 14 potential matchups with teams that still were out recruiting them. So obviously you play all those teams, you lose to half of them, you can't be 28th in the country. Uh, when I threw it at Vandy a minute ago, it was simply because, okay, well I know that the UNLV's the world not in the top 40. So I'm not telling you to go win four conference games, but I am telling you you got to stop the embarrassment stuff in the non-conference and not taking care of your, your non-conference stuff. But with Arkansas, it's like, yeah, 28th in recruiting on the surface. Like, I, you know, if you're an Arkansas fan, you would love to be hovering around the top 25 at the end next year. But the reality is, you're going to play so many teams ahead of you that it's not going to happen. But that's also why it's so interesting to me and Brooks Hill on this that Florida is still 10th. Again, it's not that 10th is some absurd number, it's not that being 7th in the SEC is probably going to bode incredibly well. But from all indications of what continues to happen under Napier and Gainesville, really what's been happening at Florida for an extended period of time, it seems like an utter train wreck. And yet they are still 10th recruiting. He's still selling some sort of message uh, or financial gain that, you know, you can stay, that's helping them stay afloat in the recruiting rankings to get two five-star players and 12-fours despite the leakage they did have back in December. So it's kind of like, well, I I think that Billy Napier and and Sam Pittman are probably racing to be fired first in the SEC next year, but at least Napier is still pitching whatever Florida is able to be pitched by finishing in the top ten. Their schedule's halacious next year. It's probably not going to bode well, but I found that very interesting that, again, it it could have gone really sour and been – they could have been in the the upper teens or 20s. That would be more indicative of a coach – that is truly as in much trouble as Billy Napier is at Florida. But, okay, 10th, you're still hanging around. they got to develop them and win on the actual field at some point. But that that's not a, a complete train wreck of what it could have been. Uh, let's look at Auburn's class real quickly before we go to our next break. Again, we're doing this because the second signing day was yesterday. Again, that was not really much new stuff for a lot of these schools, but it is a good time to re- – Remind everyone of everyone that did uh, come to the Plains. Everyone did commit everywhere. So obviously we've talked a lot about some of these top guys, but hit it again that Cam Coleman did finish as the number two overall receiver in the class, number four overall player in the aggregate, as high as number three on on three's personal rankings. Um, Amaris Williams, who was somebody that was a Florida defect. He is going to grade out actually in the industry ranking, on, on three as the second-highest-rated player, by the way. He's going to finish at number 64 uh, because of uh, his late jump there. Uh, and and so you've got him high up in the class. You've also got uh, Demarcus Reddick, who uh, ended up being a universal four-star on three, had him a little bit lower than some of these other sites, but two sites did end up ranking him in the top 50, which was obviously quite high. So, so he's someone that... Uh, was kind of one of the the earlier guys uh, in the process. I should say that Perry Thompson still f- did finish, by the way, as the number two guy, just barely over Amaris Williams, just by a few spots. That is because they're differentiating the enrolled versus the unenrolled. So he's in the signed category, not in the enrolled category. So I do want to clarify that and not say what happened to his ranking. He's 48 overall. Uh, but then you, you had Riddick there in the top 70 overall, and Walker White ends up in the top 100. Walker White made some late – uh, leaps i don't know if people re- noticed that or not uh but he ended up really catapulting up a couple of these websites because he was i was looking at it uh november ish december ish and his a lot of his rankings were actually not too far ahead of what holding gurners were coming out of school uh, coming out of high school there was one or two sites that had them actually within a couple in the position rankings and there was a couple that had them spaced out well he ends up Number seven quarterback and number 86 overall, as high as the uh, number five quarterback on 247, number 41 player overall on 247. So he took a leap pretty much on every side at the end there, which that's that's good news. I'd rather you leap at the very end than fall, certainly at the, the end of your high school tenure. So Walker White is a top seven quarterback, really, no matter where you look there. Uh, and then Joe Phillips, another guy that was high up there. Jamonte Waller is someone that. It fell just a little bit in a couple of the sites, but still ended up number 136 overall, an edge guy that, that really would like to make a difference earlier rather than later, just given the needs that Auburn has and not being able to rush the passer that well. The conundrum guys is always this, who can actually step up and be a factor in year one and even early in year one. Cause obviously Auburn's going to have some needs here as they are still in the rebuild process and the wide receivers, we're of course going to look at and say Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson, and some of those guys. They need to impact things right away. Is there anyone else on that list that you think maybe it is a Demarcus Riddick or Jamonte Waller or Maris Williams or maybe one of the other wide receivers you really like or just is or or Walker White if you want to make a pitch for him to try to win the job day one? Is there anybody else that you're expecting some contributions from pretty early on?
2: Um, Early on, I, I think, you know, you, you look at it. I, I think the biggest one, is, you, you mentioned it, uh, and, you know, it's going to be like we've talked about, is going to be those wide receivers because of just how depleted that wide receiver room has been these last couple of years. Uh, them uh, just coming in, Cam Coleman, Perry Thompson, guys like that, just coming in and making an immediate impact, it's going to be big. Um, I know, you know, just because you've got these big wide receivers – doesn't mean that Auburn is going to, to uh, just fundamentally change what they're going to do. They're not going to an air raid offense. It's not like Auburn's throwing the ball to them almost every single play. But the fact that you are now going to have weapons there that is going to complement your very, very stacked running back room, that is going to be big. In, and you need them to assert themselves as a threat uh, early on in the season, uh, especially by that Oklahoma game, you need them to be have asserted themselves as a threat that the the rest of the conference kind of respects. Uh, otherwise, they're going. People are going to uh, defensive coordinators are going to look at it and say, "Cool, they've got some good, you know, five stars there. They're not quite ready yet. We're still going to try to or, or game plan is still going to be stop the run at all costs and let them try to throw it." So I think those guys. Are the, the wide receivers across the board need to do need to have an early impact um, defensively? Uh, I I do the the Amaris Williams uh, I I do think that that is uh, that signing is someone that that I would like to see have a big impact. Um, when you, when you think about recruiting and when you think about going and getting players, when you're thinking about building a, f- a football program, you are trying to get a quarterback. Get somebody to protect the quarterback, and somebody to get the other quarterback. Well, Auburn, the maybe has a quarterback, maybe not. Maybe they'll go get a quarterback here in the in the in the in the the uh, the draft in the in the uh, transfer (laughs) in the NIL draft (laughs) in the transfer portal at the at the end of spring. You're still looking to to shore up offensive line. Uh, That's always a thing. But you've got a guy here with Ameris Williams that is a, a, an edge guy. He can go out there and he can, he, he can get the quarterback. You, you go there, in there and you make, uh, you make the other quarterbacks in this conference uh, uncomfortable when you know that, that person's on the other side coming after you. So he, the, the wide receivers and, and Ameris Williams uh, being able to go, go out there and get pressure on the quarterback um, and, and force them out uh, forced them to be uncomfortable th- this year is are two guys or two position areas that I think are uh, are going to be vital uh, for this year for these freshmen.
3: So I'll, I'll go with offense and defense. Uh, of course, on offense you got to go with the long snapper, but that, nah, oh, no, I'm, nah, I'm kidding. On offense, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Drake Carter. The big offensive lineman out of California. That kid had a lot of offers, including it was down to Auburn, Texas. It really felt like there, and uh, he is a mammoth of a human being at six foot five, three hundred and forty pounds. And Auburn can use some size on offense. You know, they lost some guys into graduation and whatnot. So, he, I mean, I could see him getting some early playing time. You know, if you're offensive line is one of those positions where if you can play. You can, you know, you can go ahead and start as a freshman, you know. There's no, you know, coaches don't really look at seniority for that. I mean, obviously, you know, if you if you're better, obviously, you know, you're going to get the start, but at the end of the day, you know, they they look towards that, you know. There are plenty of freshman offensive linemen in the country. So, I think Dre Carter would be my pick on offense, and for defense, I'm not going to go with Maris Williams cuz you already went with that. I'm going to go with uh, Malik Blockton from Pike Road. He had 45 career sacks at Pike Road with the Patriots, and he was a real disruptor. He, he was just you – know, he had a lot, a lot of collegiate offers out of Pike Road, but, he, you know, he's, his brother's Marcus Harris, and uh, – you know, those jeans whole well, you know, Marcus Harris is probably gonna get drafted in the NFL. So uh but Blockton, you know, I got the chance to see some of his film, you know, being from the Montgomery area, he is just a game wrecker. So I could see him, you know, we saw that with um oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh there was a freshman, uh from Highland home, uh, Falk, Falk. We yeah, saw true. Falk get some playing time this year. And, Falk, and uh, yeah. you know, I think, uh, I think we see Blockton do that on the other side. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see uh, Malik Blockton get some playing time.
2: One other quick thing, and I know we've well, mentioned it before on here, but the fact that Q Freeze was able to go out in his first full recruiting class and win a battle for a guy from Phoenix City, a guy from Tuskegee, a guy from Pike Road, a guy from Alex City, all four schools in your backyard. The fact that you were able to go out and win those recruiting battles in year one of your your first official uh, recruiting class, huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's been something we've been talking about on the show ever since we've been on it, that Auburn was not necessarily winning a lot of those battles. And, of course, all those guys pretty highly coveted there. So uh, that was important work on the recruiting trail for sure. Let's go ahead and take our first timeout in hour number three. When we come back, we will talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Again, our big day for that is tomorrow, but I want to give Brooks the opportunity to give his thoughts on the big game and that sort of thing. And, again, if you want to give us a call today in the last half hour of the show, 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports Call returns after this timeout. Music.
0: your attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi
3: my name is what? my name is what? my name is
0: sports call on tiger 95.9 i'm trevon
5: reed former auburn tiger football player national champion you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9
1: Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Wednesday. Final half hour or so of the show. Again, we will have a full edition of the show tomorrow again, and we will have the preview of Auburn and Florida going to Gainesville. It'll be a tough one, and then also uh, the complete Super Bowl prop bet breakdown. Go through a lot of the actual game ones, a few that are not as related to the games, having a whole lot of fun going through those tomorrow in preparation for the big game. Uh, Brooks, do want to get your thoughts, since you will not be on the show tomorrow, you'll be uh, having the day off on uh, just the game at large there with the Chiefs and 49ers. Your thoughts of what's going to end up happening and and, uh, just the matchups you're looking out for.
2: Man, it it's uh, I hope it's fun. I hope it's really really fun. Well, yeah. Um, it's uh, I think that right now, if I'm looking at this this game, uh, the Chiefs have a distinct advantage because they have one Taylor Swift to none on San Francisco. Um, <laughs> I had to get a reaction. Let's
1: get him. All right, or, uh, ahead all in all right goodbye, here. Brooks. <laughs> yep. He's gone. I knew I had to get
2: I had to get I had to get my reaction in there. I had to get to get the get it in there. Um, I think that uh, I think Kansas City on, on defense is is a, you know, is what they've been living and dying by this year. Um, San Francisco's been a team that has,, uh, you know, they've overcome a, a, a few uh, lulls in their season, but they've they've been a team that has consistently been at the top all year. Kansas City has fought their way into that. Uh, spot and fought their way uh, this year. Um, It feels like uh, on offense, you know, when you've got guys like Mahomes and Kelsey uh, for for Kansas City, that they are – you know, it feels like they're just – Every time you you say, oh, it, it, it's kind of like with, with Brady and the Patriots uh, a few years uh, back, where it's like, well, they maybe this may be it, and they were like, well, maybe not. Now we're we're gonna we're gonna turn it on here at the playoffs. Um, San Francisco, I think, is a, a really good football team. Anybody else? Anybody else from from the from the uh, the AFC? I would have slightly maybe taken uh, San Francisco. I would have said San Francisco is a slight favorite. Kansas City, though, they've they've been here before. They've been in this exact situation before, where they've played San Francisco and they beat them. Now San Francisco does not have Jimmy Garoppolo playing for you anymore. They have Brock Purdy, and I think Brock Purdy is a fine quarterback. But this is going to be the biggest stage that Brock Purdy's ever been on. He's been, you know, he's been progressively getting bigger and bigger stages in his career. But this is going to be the biggest stage that he's ever played on. Patrick Mahomes has been there before. I think that the that experience is going to help Kansas City slightly edge out San Francisco. Uh, I, I think that I, not that I'm saying the stage is going to be too big for Brock Purdy. I think that uh, I think that he's able to compete there. But I think the fact that He's never played on a stage this big, and Patrick Mahomes has done it several times, is really, really going to help uh, Kansas City, and especially if it gets into a situation where one of the two teams needs a, a game-winning drive. I'm going to trust Patrick Mahomes more than I want to trust Brock Purdy on the this, on this stage.
3: So, Brooks, how, how many points is Taylor Swift worth wow. for the Kansas City Chiefs?
2: Uh, none, because she's not on the thank, field.
3: Thank you. Thank you for the love. <laughs> that, that was a trick question. <laughs> uh,
2: they, yeah. Now, I will say they do have a better record when she is in attendance, when they she's not in attendance, but it's still a winning record even when she's not in attendance.
3: And is, so you tackle that with the moon phase? I mean, wow. I mean this is just, you know, seal, seal it shut, boys. I mean, we already know the champion by now. I I, I do agree, though. I think, um, on, a, on a real note, I think this is just, it's not just that, you're facing the chiefs you're facing the reigning super bowl champs you're facing that defense the defense is just not, spagnola knows his his defense and they have you know spags defense he was the uh, defensive coordinator for the giants whenever they defeated tom brady in the new england patriots he's been the defensive coordinator right, no. i yeah Hey, that's pretty impressive to beat Tom in a Super Bowl, Brooks. I know you're a Patriots fan, but you have to admire that. But um I don't. But anyway, no Spags has been their defensive coordinator for I believe both of these Super Bowls, unless someone else was their DC in the 2019. But uh, this is his best defense yet. They they are just incredible. They have you know McDuffie. They have Sneed. They have obviously Chris Jones and the you know at the defensive tackle. Um, they they have Willie Gay. They they have some killers on defense. They are really stout, and I want to see what their plan, what Spagnola's plan is. To defeat that offense, because it's not about Brock Purdy, it's about his weapons. It's about Christian McCaffrey. It's about Brandon Ayuk, who's just been a monster this year. Debo Smith, Debo, blah, Debo Samuel, excuse me, is just incredible. So, what is their plan to stop that? And I'm sure Spagnola has some sort of idea or some sort of game plan for it. Obviously, but uh, I think I think if the Chiefs get out to an early lead, 7-0, 10-0, and you make Brock Purdy play catch-up, uh, and you know, Kyle Shanahan catch-up as well, which they did do well against the Lions, but I, I think this Chiefs seems much better than the Lions. I think the Chiefs could win this one, and um, I think their defense could really shut down that San Francisco offense. What about you,
1: Ryan? So I will say this. Um, we talk a lot about Purdy versus Garoppolo, and that's I think that's an upgrade, and I think that's relevant. I also don't think that we don't we don't give enough credit to the fact that their weapons are actually a little better just overall than they were in twenty nineteen. So look, they probably had a better version of George Kittle than they do now. So you could give that to the twenty nineteen team. And they had a very young Debo Samuel, but now they've got Brandon Ayuk who if you look at it, you know who the leading receiver is? It's kind of funny when I look back at it, who the leading receiver in the Super Bowl for the 49ers was. Uh, was it Emmanuel Sanders? Close. Mm-hmm. He had 38 yards. It was Kendrick Bourne. Oh, Two my gosh. Two catches for 42 yards. Yeah. That's a Patriot man. They, they had Juszczyk, then they had Samuels uh, Sa- Samuel Sanders and Kittle were all between 36 and 42 yards. It was very balanced. But my point is Brandon Ayuk is better than – any other guy you want to put on that list, whether it's Emmanuel Sanders. Look, he's a good receiver, but that was maybe not the best version of Emmanuel Sanders, and then better than Kendrick Bourne and better than Kyle Juszczyk, although Kyle Juszczyk's fullback's awesome. It's great. Um, so you got Brandon Ayuk, and then you, of course, have your running backs, which, again, they did a, had a really nice thing, Raheem Moser and Tevin Coleman. But Christian McCaffrey's better than those two guys, period. Uh, and so – What I think we get a little lost in is quarterback, 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 and tomorrow there will be quarterback and there will be over-unders with quarterback and we'll keep doing it. But I also think it's relevant that San Francisco's got more to defend than they did the last time in 2019. and The good news for Kansas City is they've got way more defenders to defend them with. They have a better defense. So it's kind of mono, 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 mono in that respect because I think both teams are better versions of that. Now there's other deficiencies about it like i don't think san francisco personally at least not in the postseason, has rushed the passer or dominated with their defensive line as much as i think that they should have or could have so that's something that may may, may maybe not doing as well as they could obviously kansas city's offensively their receivers are not tyree kill anymore and and Kelsey has come back to life in the postseason, but we went over it statistically. This was one of his two or three worst seasons of his career. I think there's a there's a gentle decline happening there. And so offensively, yeah, there's maybe not quite as much for Kansas City, but maybe San Francisco's not really at the lines of scrimmage necessarily as airtight as they were. Uh, but then I think the weaponry for San Francisco's better and the defense for uh, Kansas City's better. So that's something that's going to be interesting and – I won't give my final prediction yet, but uh, something to consider going into the game on Sunday and something to consider with all the prop bets. Brooks, do you have any prop bets that – I think I asked Tom this yesterday as well before he left the show. Any particular prop bet that you you absolutely love or can't stand or would be interested in, either either on-field, off-field? Your big national anthem
2: over-under guy. The coin flip one always annoys me, Uh and I'm like, I just – you know. I know you you we can lay money down it, but it's like don't why why are we betting on the coin flip? It's just yeah, I, I don't know why it annoys me. It just annoys me that you're betting on what side of a coin is going to come is going to lay out. It it's just the purest, like i
1: I'm uh, going to gamble.
2: I yeah. did it. I did
1: it last year, and I may already have placed
3: a bet for this <laughs> yeah. year, but I'm not going to say anything, you know
2: <laughs> the the Gatorade color is always fun. I I always think is fun because you don't like you. You're always trying to you know figure out what is. You know what? You're trying to use logic and say, "Oh well, both teams are red. Maybe they'll both have red." But then also, yellow is like the most hydrating one, or the least sugar in it, and then yeah. or then, I think One's what was less last, sticky. Yeah, what last year's was what purple. I think was, yeah. Yeah, was last Purple's year. Usually, a and you know,
1: good bet from what I hear. I don't know.
2: And last year, neither teams had was color was purple, so it's like that really didn't didn't make sense. Um, so I, I think that. That, that one's always fun. The one I was, I was fun I, I thought was fun this year and it, it, it usually is, is fun for some of the bigger, well, they're all big acts, but the big acts for the halftime show is what song they're gonna open up with. Uh-huh. Which one of their songs are they going to open the halftime show with? And I think uh, I was listening to our friends over on Sports Map Radio on WAUD this morning on my drive in. And they were saying that, that the Usher one has already been taken down. Like you cannot bet that anymore. So apparently that's leaked and like. There's some some people know like this is oh. the, it's for sure th- going to be a certain song. Uh, one I think it, I don't remember what the song is, but Usher always opens his sets apparently with the same song, and they've taken it down because that's been leaked uh, or confirmed that he's see. going to do that. Okay. Um, so I usually I, w- I always think that one's cool is like trying to guess which song the the uh, the artist is going to open sure. up with at the half.
1: Sure. Yeah, we'll get into all of them tomorrow, and I know TP will be rabid about it. So uh, we, we usually do three-person shows, but we're going to let TP on as a fourth just just for – The gambling expert. Just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for that sequence. So we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with that tomorrow for sure. We need to take one more time out. We're back to wrap up this Thursday edition of Sports Call right after this.
0: And to join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger ninety five point nine. Ryan Lavoy, TP Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. Last three or four minutes of the show for this Thursday. Again, tomorrow uh, we will certainly get to a complete breakdown of the Super Bowl. Excited about that Super Bowl fifty eight coming up on Sunday. Again, we'll also preview Auburn going to Florida, as the Tigers, of course, not had much success at all in Gainesville. Uh, they will try to write that ship on Saturday. And, Brooks, one thing I wanted to ask you before we get to our nightly TV guy that I, f- I forgot to m- ask in the open when we were breaking down the Auburn-Alabama game from last night uh, was uh, how just dang loud it was you were there. Mm. Uh, can kind of compare it uh, to other either Auburn-Alabama <clears throat> games or Auburn-Kentucky type of games. Just can kind of compare that environment for us.
2: I'll tell you um – And, again, this is – it's going to – when I say it, it's going to sound like a knock, but it's definitely not. I've heard it louder in there, uh, but it is – it was very, very loud. Uh, I think – and, you know, obviously I think the loudest I've ever heard it was Auburn, Kentucky. Uh, Gosh, two – was it two years ago or three years ago that Auburn hosted Kentucky uh, when College Game Day was here? Um, uh, uh, Two years ago – uh, that one was that one was very loud. Um, the Tennessee game when Auburn clinched the SEC championship sure. that was very loud. This is it. I, I would say that in, in Auburn men's basketball in Neville Arena that I've experienced that Kentucky game when Auburn hosted College Game Day and, and beat Kentucky that was one. The Tennessee clinching the SEC title uh, that was two, and then. A, a, a plethora of Auburn, Alabamas sure. have have fallen there. Select too. offerings yeah. from the Iron Bowl of basketball.
1: Yeah. But as you said, not a knock at all. I was curious mm. because, again, everyone acknowledged how. Uh, bonkers, it still yeah. was in there last night. Again, the, the end to the first half in particular. To be fair, in the second half, it's kind of hard to be bonkers watching teams shoot free throws. I would say, I think but, that
2: was probably it, is, is right at the beginning, You, it was loud, they played, uh, I don't know if anybody saw this, they played all of the lights. I heard to, it on the
1: broadcast, <laughs> so I laughed out loud, and I said, you got to beat them, though. You need to beat <laughs>
2: And so they were going, fans were going nuts. And then, you know, right out the gate, Alabama hit a couple threes and kind of quieted the crowd down a little bit. You heard Bama brought some students. They, there were some students in the upper deck. You heard a, a Let's Go Bama chant start going. And then when Auburn went, started to go on their little run, it started to get loud. And it got very the, – the loudest it got was right at the end of – of the first half when Auburn went on that run. And then, like you said, second half, everything – the the play yeah. just kind of got bogged down well, in the fouls, and there wasn't really a chance for, for fans to go nuts. Well,
1: and I, I didn't put two and two together for everyone because it pain. But, again, I told you, <laughs> 11.50 to go, 22 free throws aside – Yet Auburn ends up shooting 50 and Bama 35. So that means Auburn shot more free throws in the last 12 minutes than they did in the first 28. Mm. Alabama shot a, a good number, so they shot 13 from that point. So that means 41 free throws were shot in the final 12 minutes of the game. Absurd. So it's kind of hard to have much action mm. or much things to many things to be unbelievably hype about. Yeah. The Jalen Williams dunk at the end of the first half was... Oh. Because it was the culmination of a run, and you know how it is. I I used to call it the highlight factory uh, at that time Auburn Arena, now Neville Arena, because what Auburn would usually do to you is they bury you with a couple threes and then like a Malik Dunbar dunk that everyone's just losing their their hats over or something like that. So I call it the highlight factory because it felt like every single play they made on a run was a three or a dunk or something that the crowd just lost their mind at. And it got into that a little bit towards the end of the first half, and that's where it got uh, got really booming. Final minute or so of the show, time for a Nightly
0: TV Guide today. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide
1: is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have?
2: Well, I'll give you one movie pick for you this evening. Uh, we got a plethora of sports on tonight, so 606 on the dot on HBO S G Barbie is on, the new movie from this past summer, the hit blockbuster Oscar-nominated film on 606HBO-SG. Go check it out if you didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. Sports for you, though, tonight. We'll start in college basketball world, 6 o'clock ESPN 2. Memphis visits Temple. Some AAC action there. Also 6 p.m. on ESPNU. Uh, An in-state uh, team Samford goes up and visits UNC Greensboro. samford Samford's been a quiet, good basketball yes, very team. Very good. 20 wins already. Yep. Uh, haven't been paying attention to them. They start need Bucky to start. Buckyball. Uh, 7 o'clock on FS1. Some Pac-12 action. Arizona State visits Colorado. Also 8 o'clock on ESPN2. Another in-state team hosts a game inside a place called Bartow Arena in Birmingham, Alabama. The Florida Atlantic Owls come to town to take on UAB. Go Blazers. Uh, also 8 o'clock ESPNU, uh, SIU Edwardsville visits Moorhead State. Uh, 9 o'clock tonight FS1, Washington visits Oregon to cap off your college basketball evening. Uh, a pair of NBA games tonight, 6.30 TNT, it's Mavericks visiting the Knicks, and then the Nuggets visit the Lakers on deadline day for the trade deadline. 7 o'clock ESPN, Tampa Bay Lightning take on the New York Islanders in some hockey action, and then you can cap off your evening late, late night tonight. Uh, at 9.30 on ESPN with some top-ranked boxing as uh, the showman Tefimo Lopez, who's 19-1 and with 13 knockouts, takes on super lightweight title uh, against Jermaine Ortiz, 17-1-1 with eight knockouts. And that's uh- tonight the TV Guide brought to our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer.
1: Thank you very much for that, Brooks. And again, thank you for being here today. I Hope you have a great long weekend, sir. We will see you again next week. See you then. And TP Hammock, thank you for being here today. We'll see you a little bit tomorrow as well thank you as always and that will do it for the show this afternoon we want to thank auburn softball coach mickey dean for joining us and as always we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in for brooks childress and tp hammock my name is ryan lavoie have a great thursday night and we'll talk to you again tomorrow